Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Clearly, this ball will go to Kevin Durant, though, as the primary option. And the pressure on that man as well, P.J. Tucker. KD at the foul line. They'll inbound from the near side. It's Jeff Green throwing the inbounding pass. Oh, KD was open. They throw it to him way on the weak side. KD attacking. Off balance. Fade away. That's a two. It goes. Unreal. Off the left shoulder. That was almost the exact same shot that Dame Lillard hit, except it wasn't a three. Unreal shot. He had nothing. Nothing at all. Durant has not had it in the overtime. He hasn't scored. But obviously, they'll go to him again. KD going to start down at the charge circle. Minimal screen gets in the ball. Rip through. Gets the separation on the drive. Fades away. Short. Rebound Giannis. They don't take the foul, but they do get the two for one. KD could feel the presence of Lopez. Did not want to go all the way to the rim. Now Middleton against Brown. They're just going to try and run the time down here. Let's see if help comes. Giannis getting in a position to set the screen. They force a baseline. Middleton pull up. Misses. KD rebound. They can push it here. Here he goes. Connaughton's behind the play. They get it to Harden. Get it back to KD. Jeez. KD, maybe he's tired. He's got Holiday on him. Late clock. KD, tough shot. Way short. He never tried to attack. He was just too tired. He gave the ball up to Harden, and I think there was a reason for it. He just never tried to really push it. He just didn't have the juice. Holiday got switched onto him. I mean, that's just, it's not a good shot. He could, he's been getting good shots on Holiday the whole way. He thought he was actually going to make that one. And with only 0.3 left, the Bucks are going to win. Man, this was one of the best games in the entire time that we've been doing dunked on. And like I had the same feeling for game five of this series, it was just so intense. And you just, you couldn't even process what had happened afterwards and I just we needed some time we're recording now a couple of hours later but I mean just the individual performances and the storylines and the talent on these two teams I just I'm in awe of how, how good this game was and it went down to the end twice as it should have but the Milwaukee Bucks somehow have advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals yeah and, and and somehow is right there were there were definitely times in this game i mean in the first half in the second half in the fourth quarter in overtime when they didn't score for almost four minutes where it didn't look like that was going to be the case but they kept on competing and, and i think for me one of the the most striking thing about this game seven was the combination of intensity and dur like durability of this game where there were five different players who played 50 or more minutes 
And all of them were doing a lot out there and had to be so good in order for their teams to have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And well, th- there was one exception to that, unfortunately, although he, given his health situation, he did everything that he could. But is it wrong to start with Kevin Durant, even though it was in defeat? And even though he missed his last six shots, he missed every shot that he took in overtime. He was because he was 17 of 30 for 48 points after the incredible display in the last minute of the game to tie it down when they were down four. Um, I mean, this, it should have been clear as you went through the fourth quarter in the overtime and there was literally no one else on the team who could do anything to initiate a play whatsoever. And it's just, it's one of the great playoff performances ever. I mean, I, I, when we did the all decade, I looked at the two greatest series that I had seen in the last decade were LeBron 2016 against the Warriors and Kawhi Leonard 2019 against Philly. I ranked those as the two best series that any player had played over the last decade. And even though they lost, even though he was 0 for 6 in overtime, just to get them to this point, and he almost he was two inches away with his feet on the three-point line on that preposterous shot to tie the game at the end of regulation. I still would consider this one of the three best series, certainly since we've been doing this podcast, uh, if not in the last like 15 years. And the cruel twist of fate that led us to this point is that it looked like Kevin Durant was going to have plenty of help. It looked like they, you know, teamed up with at that time one star in Kyrie Irving, and then they traded for a second in James Harden. And then James Harden battles injuries and, you know, is, is comes back and is not himself when he's when he's back. And then Kyrie, you know, Kyrie, well, technically before Harden returned, Kyrie goes down with an ankle injury. And as we talked about at other points in this series, including um, during game six, the way, and I'm not criticizing Sean Marks for this, the way that they, the way that he kind of filled in the gaps around three ball dominant stars was logical support players players who the reason they were available was i mean in joe harris's case they had bird rights but in you know like bruce brown and blake griffin and jeff green and shamet was they did certain things well but that they they weren't you know those creators they weren't really couldn't really fill those roles and so that meant that when things got tough it had to be Kevin Durant and because they didn't have a ton of great defense it was typically him on that end too no and I mean he was just making plays all over the place and yeah it was like truly three and a half games of him initiating literally every single action that went anywhere for his team and he sat for during competitive portions of those games he sat for I think one minute of those games and you know the only time that he sat was after the game was completely out of reach in game four and game six like the last five minutes of each of those games other than that he was just out there and it, it's really a shame because like his stat line was so amazing again i mean this you know this game i mean the ot does sully it a little bit but i think you also i mean it's similar I mean, we've seen in these playoffs actually i mean two of the greatest ever games that we've ever seen in defeat maybe even three you could say with uh you know lucas game seven 46 and 14 in the game seven uh but you know luca kind of ran out of steam before the end whereas lillard ran out of steam in double overtime and kd ran out of steam a little bit in, in overtime and didn't like visibly run out of steam until the actual like very last play of overtime and 
you know, for for him to do this against, I mean, this the Bucks offense certainly, you know, they have their issues, right? But this is just a great defense. I mean, just looking up at this defensive starting lineup well, was just and, completely insane. How good that is, and, and the combination of capable perimeter defenders, well, especially PJ Tucker, Giannis, we'll get there. Yeah. But also rim protection. I mean, so the idea that okay, you can get if you get by your guy, and the Nets at times did better jobs with screens and everything else. You're probably going to face someone challenging around the basket if you're trying to get all the way there and they also you know drew holiday had had durant in a couple of key moments including the final possession of the game and durant was also what especially once Kyrie went down he was the focal point of the bucks entire defensive scheme as he should be and you could argue that he should have been even more the focal point when yeah. you consider how, how dominant kevin durant was and to to have this kind of a performance with the volume of responsibilities that he had and minutes he played is amazing and it's a shame that it happened to defeat i my inclination is always that performances like this when they come in an earlier round and they come in defeat will fall into not the dustbin of history but they will become lesser lights because we more things will follow this you know we have a game seven and a game one on sunday we have two more series and then an nba finals after that but it was a spectacular performance and it's hard to it it's not even it's like almost impossible to ask more of Kevin Durant. It's kind of hard to imagine what he could have delivered other than maybe a basket or two in overtime that that like, I mean it, he he gave everything. No, I, I I my opinion of him has only gone up. I mean he unless something major changes. I mean certainly if we were going to do our top 10 players in the NBA rankings at this moment he would be at the top of it and uh, I he was not high enough for me as it turned out. I had some doubts about you know because he was injured with the hamstring a lot of the year and i was like all right is he going to really be able to do it against playoff defenses uh, coming off the achilles and like, oh no i think he can pretty sure he can and i mean against probably the one guy in the entire league pj tucker who was best equipped to defend him one-on-one i'd say he does the best job of anyone one-on-one in the entire league and uh pj I mean, we'll, don't worry we'll sing plenty of bucks praises too because i thought they despite some foibles you know there are a lot of wonderful performances from the bucks that story needs to be told as well but yeah i mean i think i feel comfortable that kevin durant is the best player in the world right now and especially i mean these last three games and his game two was one of the more dominant performances that i've seen as well when it looked like they were just gonna sail away with this series when remember at that point we're like oh well one of their three superstars is out well the bucks are gonna be fine in this series now oh no actually because kevin durant was that much better and then he still basically won games with you know i mean he was the only star like james harden was so limited like i thought he would be maybe it looked at the beginning like he might be better but it it didn't turn out that way and this didn't surprise me but we got a little bit more color on that after the game uh harden says that he's been dealing with this is a grade two hamstring strain yeah that's i mean a grade two hamstring strain that's like a month injury for a lot of times or a three-week injury and so you know i actually haven't even had a chance to catch up uh, on twitter yet but it was just like you could tell like he had there's no way he could have been out there uh, under like any sort of medical staff having any kind of say even in in this one right i mean if you even compare him to mike conley who later said he was like 50 or 60 percent uh, today when he did his interview you know he was uh, conley was in way better shape than james harden and so i mean you know it's a definitely a testament to Harden's skill level that he was able to go out there and at least do something for his team to help and 
but it, obviously he was out of gas and, and we'll talk about all the possessions and stuff coming up here and as well and as we as we kind of transition from the nets to the bucks we will sing Giannis's praise plenty but the guy that i want to start with and i think that he will be an undersung not unsung but an undersung hero of this game especially in the overtime is brooke lopez thank you i'm so glad you did that i just rewatched the overtime and i'm like he was fantastic in the overtime defensively yeah i mean so in in the overtime brooklyn took five shots in the paint four in the restricted area lopez was in the mix on at least three of those and it might have been four and to be able to do that and be able to space the floor and i mean he had that huge block on Durant, but also had a big contest earlier in the ot he he was doing a ton out there and you know picking up some messes and setting some screens and i I, I was really impressed with we wondered where Lopez was going to fit in this series. You know, it's a with parallels with various things we talked about with these centers of, you know, like as series get smaller and as series get more shooting and f- five out or in this case, a lot of times four or three and a half. And Brooke Lopez was awesome. Yeah, he had that great closeout on Blake Griffin as well and then slid with him to force a miss uh yeah i mean he, he forced basically three misses right at the rim and he had a huge deflection too yeah i think that I mean, was the, in the fourth had, quarter yeah, yeah the nets actually got decent possessions in the ot except when they gave it to harden and he just would dribble for 15 seconds and well then they quick quick nothing. interjection on that there was the, the single weirdest element of this game for me other than one thing which i will discuss which involves brooke lopez um was there were numerous times when james harden had the ball and it just kind of seemed like i don't i'm he's an incredibly aware and intelligent player that he like it kind of seemed in my eyes like he saw an extra digit on the shot clock like where he would <laughs> have the ball and it'd be like six seconds left on the shot clock and almost every guy in the league when there's six seconds left in the shot clock they're like okay i need to get into something like right now like if you're not already there you need to be there and everyone's like well you know let's see what's around let's see oh kevin durant's there it's like a two second pass i'll get it to durant he'll be fine and it's like it was so weird because harden wasn't like that in game six and he's just like okay and like there was as you said there was a play like that in in the ot which drove me completely insane um but Lopez being able to protect the rim, not like having to sacrifice everything the way they were. And that led to what I thought was the most important that was related to the most important tactical adjustment, which came at halftime when Budenholzer shifted the defensive assignments. And they had for so yeah. much of this series, Brooke Lopez had been guarding Bruce Brown, and that helped Kevin Durant get going because Brooke Lopez, he can, you know, he can't be everywhere. He's not the most fleet of foot guy in the world. And so that basically invited the Nets to use Bruce Brown as a screener. And so Blake Griffin was more of an off ball spacer for the most part in those configurations. But when they put Giannis on Brown and put Lopez on Blake Griffin, all of a sudden the, the entire shape of the Brooklyn offense changed. Yeah, and I, I did the cast for the second half. You know, we, we had that in the intro, and I noted that, and I had thought that maybe that would be something that they could try. But the reason to put Lopez on Braun, obviously, was that when Braun wasn't involved in the action, he's a non-shooter. Blake is a better shooter than him. But Braun is probably actually a better screener. He's got, like, that little floater game, which Blake doesn't necessarily have. And so they felt like, hey, at least... You know, if Blake is going to attack the basket, he's got to get all the way to the rim. And Blake did hit one really difficult layup on Lopez, but Lopez stopped him another time in the overtime. And Blake is just, he was three of six from downtown in this game, but he also, he's just not 
going to be like that volume of a guy like Blake Griffin is just not I mean he he came to to Brooklyn to play a role and and I mean I think honestly given how limited Harden was I thought they actually could have maybe just tried to use Blake Griffin as a playmaker a little bit more than they did um but Blake is just knocking up bomb three so yeah I, I thought that that worked reasonably well uh for Milwaukee uh, obviously that would shift around when they had different guys in the game and stuff uh but no I, I thought that was an interesting I mean and also like Steve Nash's decision to start Brown to begin with Bruce Brown who you know was barely playing for a couple of games all of a sudden plays 52 minutes in this one now I think part of that might have been Jeff Green was kind of hobbling around out there I think maybe his plantar fasciitis must have acted up a little bit too but I think they also correctly realized that in game six with Jeff Green replacing Bruce Brown they just didn't have enough defense on the floor and that Jeff Green trying to guard Giannis didn't really work and that Jeff has a lot, makes a lot of mistakes and he's just not he's not as solid of, as a defender as he looks and they were getting killed by Chris Middleton like they're they had to put Joe Harris on Chris Middleton and Chris Middleton with 38 points cooked him so they're like all right we got to get Bruce Brown in here and we'll just deal with the defensive limitation and Bruce Brown I thought was awesome I, yeah, I thought he, he. I thought he yeah. did some really nice work on Middleton. And yeah, he played great defense uh, on Middleton. Held him to two for eleven in the first first half and uh, four offensive rebounds. I mean, some of the hustle plays. He also he one, one of the key plays we'll talk about at the end too. He forced a team offensive rebound. Uh, so no, he, I mean he, he also he also deflect. Uh, uh, there was a lot of confusion because they kept on showing the replay from a different angle. But there was this play where Chris Middleton got the ball in transition. And was like, how did he kick the ball? No, Bruce Brown hit it out of his hands. It's just it was hard. It was hard to see. And then that's yeah. the one that led to the the Harden the Harden pass to Durant, which Pat Connaughton committed a ludicrous foul um, on the to, on the dunk for an and one. And like so, he was around. He was comp- and and so that's not that's not an offensive rebound. That is a it is a steal. And like I, I thought that yeah, Brown's energy was incredibly important, and we wondered about you know like the role players in the series who would step up. And I thought Brown did a much better job than I anticipated. Blake Griffin, I would say overall, did a better job than I anticipated as well. And then Green had his moment in that unbelievable game five. And then the other guys kind of came and went. I mean, Nick Claxton played one second in this game, and that was he defended Drew Holiday on the on the last inbound of regulation. He was the which was a good decision by Steve Nash to put him in and just be tall because he's as tall as they can really be unless they're going to dust off DeAndre yeah I thought that I thought maybe they would actually consider that but now Nick Claxton kind of fulfills the same man it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015 and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because 
you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us thing um i mean another theme in this we talked about the minutes but uh it ended up changing a little bit when Connaughton played more with tucker getting in foul trouble down the end but there was a point and actually i think this was the case yeah so bench players total in this overtime game both benches combined played a total of 49 minutes in a 53 minute game well, it's not only that, it's that the bench players combined to take five shots from the field. All five shots were back on None of the Nets play none of the Nets bench players or Bryn Forbes for the for the Bucks even attempted a shot from the field in this one yeah and Condison was uh was three of five he was key I mean that's obviously the Bucks three-point shooting just being good kept them in it I thought in the in the first when they really were playing extremely poorly and so to finish up 42 percent from three and the Nets just uh, ultimately two really good shooters Harden and Harris just were a combined five out of 21 from downtown i mean that just that was just i eventually i thought too much uh, to overcome but i mean when you think about the minutes here like was it was it the right decision i mean like kd there's just no one else for him right but like all these other guys is it the right decision to not play these bench guys more i don't think it was i i, I think that you can pick your spots and do a little bit it was probably some of that oh it's the it's an elimination game when you'd be out there but it's so interesting because at, at many other times we criticized budenholzer for you know not recognizing for for kind of drawing the lines in the wrong place for giving his guys too much rest and making sure they were fresh and with nash i mean yeah jeff green might have been limited but the the end of this game and part of what you know one of the key key dynamics in it was how gassed all of these guys looked late and you didn't know the game was going to go to overtime necessarily and i'm not saying like oh play harden or bruce brown necessarily like five minutes less but like three give them a real give them one other additional time off i think that would have made a difference and this became just the ultimate stars and players series and you know it seemed like mike budenholzer just ended up having having to just match what the nets were doing because it kind of just like game theory it's just and from just a, a coaching incentives strategy right it's well they're playing their stars the whole time so if we take our stars out and they go on a run during that time it's my fault right like and so that's why the bucks responded with this and i did think though that Giannis and bud did a good job even though he played 50 minutes they did a good job of just like finding little pockets to get him even like one minute before tv time the broadcast did a great job of showing like the level of exhaustion that he was reaching at times and so they managed to to manage that and then the other thing that the bucks had is you know Giannis and middleton and holiday you know none of them really like had it going necessarily 
but they could at least alternate between the three of those guys initiating offense so they could get a little bit of a break whereas kd you know just any to any possession that he didn't initiate in the second half and overtime was just a disaster and it was and so that was uh that was obviously really difficult for him um but yeah i mean i think I, also these are teams with like pretty limited benches you know jeff green maybe could have played more or maybe like they could have gone claxton instead of brown but the problem was like as the series kind of reached an equilibrium well without bruce brown they got nobody to guard chris middleton right and chris middleton's playing the whole game so i guess we had to play bruce brown the whole game right and now the bucks did get a little bit more judicious with pj tucker part of that was foul trouble but also just to you know take him out towards the end of quarters they did go with middleton on him they tried holiday on him at the end of the second and kd just completely cooked drew holiday and so i've always found it funny that kd said oh yeah drew in an interview like drew holiday guards me the best of anyone because uh kd is either like playing possum there or he's just wrong about who guards him the best because he has always cooked drew holiday in the post like holiday just can't do anything about it. and that and that was the case back in that 2018 series uh, with the warriors against the pelicans too where he was just lighting him up when they had nobody else to guard him other than than drew on that team like so you know that didn't work but they did get pj enough uh, of a rest and you know pj was able to play most of the overtime until he fouled out in very controversial fashion and you know maybe they could have they did at least play pat Connaughton 23 minutes you know that that really helped even the slightest bit to give the guard something right like and uh drew got into foul trouble he got a little bit of a break lopez got a little bit of a break tucker got a little bit of a break so that was you know middleton and Giannis basically matched durant and, and harden in this one just a, a couple minutes less but th- i mean those guys did appear to have more energy at the very end than Katie and Harden did. But I, I think it was a good point and such an important one to talk about the the different responsibilities because I thought that was a part of why the Bucks players were so much fresher. And we should talk about Giannis. I, I thought that this was a strong a, a strong performance overall from Giannis. I thought that he was better, like he got more aggressive over the course of the game, like in the in the first partially i think because some of the jumpers went in he shot he took three of them in the first quarter but then really after halftime started making it started making hay around the basket also brooklyn did something which always drives me crazy um with anybody but especially in certain ways with Giannis, of committing a foul around the basket but not really doing enough to dissuade the shot from happening and so there were a couple times where and Giannis in particular because he's such a bad free throw shooter or at least such a less confident one that if you give him the and one opportunity it's 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 so much more damaging for your team and Giannis to his credit he took a lot of those licks and kept on finishing and got some big and ones and made some real points yeah you know a lot of guys in his position with this free throw issue would have whisked out and stopped attacking and Giannis to his credit he never ever stops attacking yeah like 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 someone who he might face in the Eastern Conference Finals yes that that is correct uh but yeah I, I mean i thought one thing that was really important he started to really find uh the mid-ranger like i thought he really was hitting that pretty well by the end of the series i think that's something that he should particularly if he gets guarded by joel Embiid potentially in the next series or clint capella for that matter uh that just shooting that mid-ranger from the foul line he looked very confident with that shot as opposed to the three-pointer like taking that shot in rhythm with confidence like that was really going down for him he looked pretty good there um now he did airball two free throws in this game while still going eight for 14 i mean it's hilarious like it just i i can't imagine 
what it must be like especially for him who used to actually make his free throws right and who i'm sure makes them in practice all the time to feel this way at the line and that you're letting your teammates down and just how much you must dread going there and just like what what actual thoughts are in your head as you as you're at the foul line but at one point he makes six in a row and then he had one of the worst air balls i've ever seen it was not it it was was short and right yeah like and not just short it was like two balls shortly it was not even close like you knew the moment it left his hand it wasn't even gonna be in the zip code of the rim um but you know he didn't do a ton defensively in this one i thought um but it was still pushing the ball in transition obviously the the times that he was able to do that were big and he had a huge hook shot over kd to tie the game in the last minute and a half of overtime had uh, some pretty clutch plays down the end was able to finish and so i mean i thought he played as well as you could reasonably expect him to with this 40 points on 15 to 24 uh it it was a really good game it was it was a game that you cannot and the number of minutes as well you know he but now of course it's worth noting the matchup right like we we thought based on the matchup that Giannis would be able to have games like this every game and he had a few to be sure but the Bucks overall didn't score that well part of that was not hitting some of the open threes and part of that was just too much isolation etc but you know he, he did deliver he did his part in this game as a great player he played well enough for the Bucks when it was their best offensive player in this one and you know the other Bucks Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton both starting two for 11 in the first half but both of them just had massive moments uh, at the end but I thought Chris Middleton's defense was pretty massive in this yeah I thought he, he you know did a nice job competing got into passing lanes was was handsy in kind of a good way wasn't committing a ton of fouls but was was disruptive and yeah, he had just a couple of plays where he just kind of showed up out of nowhere to get strips. I think both of them are were on KD, if, if memory serves. As a I believe guy. so, yeah. Yeah, and there was that one where PJ PJ Tucker got KD, and then and then Middleton got him kind of two on the same possession where the ball popped up, and then and then they grabbed it. That was an an important play. And yeah, I, I thought that Middleton he did a nice job there. It really needs to be a team effort, even though the Nets don't didn't have that many creators. And and we'll get to, we'll get to Drew. I, I think that the because his his arc within this game was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we're, when we talk about the last five minutes, uh, yeah, that that definitely was. Huge. But I mean, in the first half, though, he was completely in his own head. He was missing wide open shots. Then he was passing up shots and he was taking them again and missing him. Like I, w- I compared him on Twitter to I said that Eric Bledsoe thinks that Drew Holiday is struggling to shoot right now. And he really just looked like totally in his own head. But to his credit, he pushed on and did have some big, huge shots towards the end. Let me see if I have anything more on the meat of the game here before we talk about the end. I thought Blake Griffin's third foul was pretty big. Uh, that Then they had to go to Jeff Green and Giannis kind of got off towards the end uh the Nets led 53-43 at one point right towards the end of the half and the Bucks got a couple of buckets and then to get well, yeah. within six at halftime yeah well Milwaukee they had a big stretch at the end of the second and then they also if you remember cut the margin at the end of the third too where they yeah. did cut they cut the margin but they ended up putting a lead and so closing those two quarters strong they were so they were down five they were down five with a couple minutes to go 
in the, in the third quarter, and then Connaughton hits a three. Middleton Middleton gets one gets a gets a putback. Giannis gets a dunk. Yeah, that was an and one. That was that was the that was one of the plays that bothered me. Where I was like, you know, he got got fouled and and got a got a dunk off it. And then they take a three point lead, so they go from five down to three up. And then Durant makes a two right before the right before the end of the quarter. So that's a huge swing, and they basically did that twice in this game. Yeah, it really like it was the Bucks who were more often seeming like okay, here comes the tide, they're down, and they they are the ones who responded over and over in this game and the the nets kind of had one big response but it did seem like the nets were the ones who always seemed like they could be about to take control and to the bucks credit i mean they every time they got down five got down 10 they found a way to fight back with some transition or some offensive rebounds and pj tucker was unbelievable again on the offensive glass that that was massive he had a couple of corner threes in their run right at the start of the third to get back to a nice lead well yeah they didn't they, they took a two-point lead or a, a four-point lead actually was the most that they that they led by early in the third but yeah i thought like tucker just along the baseline tipping rebounds out or, or just forcing team offensive rebounds he was awesome he had four offensive rebounds middleton had four offensive rebounds lopez had five they 18 well, and, as a team 34 well, percent offensive rebounds and the possession game was what uh, yeah. you were getting to with the offensive rebounds was huge because so not only was it the 18 11 or if you want it in terms of rebound rate 34 percent offensive rebounds for the bucks 27 for the nets 27 for the Nets is pretty damn high but also milwaukee this is always kind of like one of those like if you're doing this in a really good position to win the bucks had more steals than turnovers and so overall it was it was seven to 13 so milwaukee big advantage there so that led to a relatively even free throw game milwaukee takes 98 shots brooklyn takes 84 so even though brooklyn made a higher proportion of their shots from from two i mean they said and overall you know field goal percentage yeah. they they still lost the game man i just love american giants just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us and yeah let's talk a little bit about harden's overall game and he did look more spry at first i thought he really hurt them defensively 
in game six and i thought through the meat of this game he was pretty good like his closeouts were better he definitely looked better he looked more comfortable driving he was able to get uh, a few bullshit fouls although not really towards the end but uh, you know got his uh, three shot foul on Giannis which was big um and you know I thought even that they talked to him probably about taking spot up three pointers and how he needed to do that and so he first at least he was like shot faking and driving and setting guys up then he actually took a couple of spot up threes but just couldn't make them um so I, I thought like his approach was good and his effort level was good for most of the game but then I thought there were and you know I'm not going to kill him for not being able to move right like that's he was out there he was trying to help the team like that that part of it I think was you know I'm not going to say heroic but worthy of praise uh but as we'll talk about here as we get into the end of the game you know he really had a lot of very goat-ish plays and some of them were probably due to the hamstring but I thought most of them were just mental errors honestly uh down the end so let's talk about that uh well so I think of, we should, yeah I think we can well, start well, speaking of mental errors also uh the Bucks committing non-shooting fouls oh god in the bonus was that the end of that was uh the end of the third quarter third right? quarter yeah. yeah where they gave up six points at the end of the third quarter on non-shooting fouls in the bonus on just terrible fouls that kind of gave the nets a, a a quick lead that the bucks then fought back from um but yeah so where do you want to start out here i was thinking you know about six minutes left or so yeah so i was gonna i was gonna breeze through the first kind of so so where i think is, is a worthy place to start was that weird sequence where middleton and tucker stole the ball from from durant and then bruce brown tipped it away from chris middleton harden gets the ball kicks it immediately for great read great decision by harden gets it to durant and pat Connaughton sees kevin durant going for a dunk it's like I could block that and just like way too late, like not even there and fouls Durant. So that said, and Durant of course makes the free throw because that's what he does. And that pushes Brooklyn's lead to five points. And then Drew Holiday, who at this point in the game is two for 17 in one of his two was this really brutal make where he front rimmed it and it just kind of like spun around and went in. So that's one of his two for 17. Holiday gets the ball. And basically at this point, the Nets were, they weren't necessarily daring him to shoot, but they were also like totally cool with Drew Holiday shooting. And Holiday absolutely drills the three. And so the margin, it kind of spurts up. We thought that was a huge play you know it looked like the bucks could get it could cut it to maybe two probably two or three if they you know on that on the play for actually sorry they could they could have tied the game on the middleton turnover and instead it's up to five but then it goes that down to two almost instantly well the this is the beginning of james harden kind of playing hero ball on defense yes. so first he uh, that holiday three and part of this was because pj tucker was out of the game with his fifth foul so they have Connaughton in instead but harden had largely been guarding Connaughton, and that was fine but Connaughton was making some threes and so uh Harden you know famously in game five was like you know kept waving guys away for Giannis trying to post him up and he did that again actually at this point he did get a stop on him in the post but the problem with Harden guarding Giannis 
was that then James Harden would have to defend in pick and roll defense. And so as soon as they go to that matchup, Chris Middleton comes off a screen with Giannis. They run that all the time. And Blake Griffin was guarding Giannis. Um, you know, I guess they moved. I can't remember who it was that they moved Griffin onto. I guess it was Lopez at that point. It was Lopez then, yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe that was the, they wanted to put. I don't know who Katie. Oh, Katie was guarding Holiday on that position. And so Milton comes off the Giannis screen. Harden doesn't leave Giannis at all. Doesn't contain the ball. So now Katie has to come over from the weak side, and that leaves Holiday just absolutely wide open. Um, and to uh, hit that three, but then Harden comes back. And I think this is his last points of the game. It's a ridiculous bank three after, you know, kind of this, like Harden always kind of plays at this languid pace, but he could always play late in the clock because he had the explosion to get separation and and get a shot off. But he just didn't have that explosion anymore. And obviously he was exhausted as well. So he banks the three and that made up for Giannis's (sighs) banked in three earlier in the game. So that that was pretty much evened out, which which is good to see. So it's 101-96 at this point and then the bucks go on an 8-0 run in two possessions so off a drive to the middle from Giannis, he kicks out to holiday on the right holiday drives by one james harden and throws an awesome pass from under the rim to chris middleton out on the left wing and middleton hits a three so now it's a two-point game 101 99 uh middleton plays good defense off a sideline out of bounds denying katie because he's got to guard katie now tucker is out of the game still uh denying durant finally gets it late clock got a pretty decent look at a right wing three off the pick and roll you know it, it was tough because they kept trying to have lopez sort of trap him against the sidelines like lopez would really get further out on the floor you know i think it would have been nice if they could have made a little bit more of an effort to get that screen set in the middle but it was just everyone was so exhausted that it was just like all right as, as long as we can get the ball to katie and someone can come up here and sort of set a screen for him like that's that's gonna have to be good enough so he misses the three and oh yeah actually i'm sorry i skipped over one one part of this as well this was before the harden bank three where they're up four and they got to stop and then harden threw this terrible oh thank you for bringing that up to kevin durant where like really you do expect that kd is gonna sprint the floor all the way down at this point in the game this exhausted it wasn't even that for me. It was that Harden threw that pass with the angle and velocity like Durant was the only player down there. And there were three bucks. There were three bucks there. Middleton was the one who read it and got the steal. Like, you you can't throw a pass that speculative and that slow if there are other guys back that can react to it. Like, that's... Yeah. And, and so, Middleton gets it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really yeah. happy you and brought that up. And because he couldn't push the ball up to... I mean, that was part... Like, KD had to bring the ball up a lot because Harden couldn't do that, which, okay, that's that's part of the hamstring. Sure. I get that. But he also, again, just, I think, this feeling of, like, hey, I'm, I'm a superstar. I'm supposed to be doing stuff. So, he would well, and, throw these full-court passes and, and that so, were just... And, no and hopers. The, con- the context there is also important. So Lopez had missed a, missed a shot. And so the, the Nets have the ball with four and a half minutes to go, up four. If they right. get something on that possession, then put, potentially push it to six with about four minutes to go. Instead, not only do you lose possession, but Giannis got an easy layup in transition. So you don't you so you give that up too. So then it becomes it becomes only a two point lead instead of potentially a six point lead. So after that KD missed three that we were talking about, it's uh, 101-98. They've got Harden on holiday again. A side pick and roll. Harden, the what is the thing that he is absolutely worst at? is getting through a screen um you know I, i'm not sure they decided to move harden on holiday rather than Giannis. i think they wanted to say all right B- blake griffin is going to go back to Giannis. so blake griffin is on Giannis now so side pick and roll and i mean this wasn't a transition situation like this was the matchup that they were choosing and so 
Then Blake Griffin has to help because Harden can't really get through the screen very well. Throw the pass to Giannis and he gets the and one layup. That then is followed by a missed free throw. Pat Connaughton pushes James Harden under the rim, which again, you know, Harden, it's probably as you're pushing backwards more is maybe a little more on your hamstring than it is pushing forward to guard somebody in the post. But Connaughton kind of push hard under the rim who's in the who's the low man on the free throw lane and tips it out then Holiday hits a ridiculous step back on Joe Harris the matchups were kind of messed up the Nets did a good job defensively where Holiday tried to bring up I think it was Harden's man or or Griffin's man and so Bruce Brown was up there and he just pre-switched it and just forced Holiday to take this tough step back over Joe Harris but I mean Joe Drew Holiday uh two huge three-pointers when he as you mentioned he was two of 17 to that point and so now in the last few possessions he's hit an open spot up three he's drove set up a three and then he gets this spot up and so it's eight points and two possessions for the Bucks, and they now lead an 8-0 Milwaukee run around and the Nets uh, amazingly only had one possession just that KD missed three around that I mean that was a five-point possession for Milwaukee just an absolute killer for the Nets to go from up five to down three in the course of two possessions yeah and also that took I think it was roughly a minute, took a minute off the clock, so that made it, you know, less time for the net, net, fewer possessions left in the game. And then we started the Kevin, I mean, started, the we, I guess, revived the Kevin Durant show where he, he kind of, he, it had to be in his hands and it was. Yeah, he drove along the sideline. This is when they tried to trap him and pick and roll on the sideline with Lopez and he just blew right by him. And I mean, the explosion at this point in the game was, was incredible. Then he got along the baseline. I'm like, oh, he doesn't see Giannis coming over. Giannis is just going to pin this. And somehow he stepped around him and hit a beautiful layup that he made look so easy, but it was in, in reality, incredibly difficult shot. So one point game there, then Drew gets like a nice little easy 16 foot pull up again, being guarded by Harden in pick and roll defense to go up three by the way so holiday two of 17 these are the other three shots he made in the entire game yeah right yeah, right here right. in this sequence all yeah all in that i mean within like a four possession period he made all all of those buckets and so some of the other plays that that stood out in this period in second here let me find it kd hard drive to the right elbow still just guarded by milton you know at this point i was starting to wonder you know particularly with harden struggling so much of just like the and when he's guarded by milton too to that they would never consider just running a double out i mean i think it's just something like i just don't think it's something that they ever practiced or even have ever thought to practice like mike budenholzer it's all about the math it's all about defending your guy they went back to their conventional system them relatively they did do some more switching in some of the groups although not very much in this game but they did do that in game six um you know this is one where middleton especially when katie has it like out in the middle of the floor just a straight iso you should be able to rotate around out of that but you know it's tough to do that when you have lopez on the floor too like that's kind of the because he it's harder for him to get out to the corner etc so kd just gets to the elbow nice pump fake and scored that mid-ranger to put, get him within one and then i thought what did you think of this well that was actually in the overtime um yeah this was holiday attacking harden again and getting fouled by harden yep uh but only may only makes one out of two so two-point lead and then Chris this Middleton, is when they yeah. when they brought pj tucker back into this between those right. two free throws because he had I, he had five fouls at that point and i think they they wanted they wanted his defense for these last couple of possessions and so 
they basically just iso kd on tucker which i i wonder why they wouldn't involve brooke lopez i mean brooke lopez defending pick and roll in the middle of the floor they never found an answer for that and somehow they just they couldn't get kd to that spot i i think the reason was that kd just waved everyone away and wanted to just take tucker but uh he got to his spot then tucker got a hand on it again i mean tucker's hands were ridiculous this game he had a couple of fouls but most of these were just really clean strips like it was incredibly impressive and then so he gets stripped by tucker gets it back and then middleton comes off of joe harris uh from right behind kd takes it away and i think that was the one where harden fouled middleton going for a steal uh i don't know if he was even going for a steal like middleton dribbles up they're up to and then he kind of faked like he was going to pull it out and then attacked harden i thought actually that was a very very close call because i thought harden was showing his arm oh i know which one you're talking i thought that was a foul yeah. on Harden. yeah i mean middleton like kind of went down i mean it was they were the referees were letting a lot go i thought they largely did a pretty decent <laughs> oh, job they let they definitely let a lot go especially i think it was the third quarter yeah. it's like oh they're in the the middle of the fourth where they're just fouling the ever-loving crap out of each other yeah but I mean, there were times in the first where they missed some calls. I thought they settled in better. Mark Davis, John Goldblatt, I can't remember who the third official was. So Middleton, two free throws despite Nash taking one of his two timeouts in between the Middleton free throws that didn't work. KD misses another pull-up from the left wing which was a pretty good look again against tucker with 47 seconds left but then bruce brown gets in there among two bucks they review it it's knocked off at Giannis's foot so they still have another chance to get the two for one here down four and kd has a rip through drive to the right baseline pull up over tucker to get him within two with 40 seconds left and so you know the nets get the two for one they're sitting pretty and then chris middleton misses a long three and pj tucker just completely another insane offensive rebound also we should mention how stagnant that possession was for the bucks they didn't they didn't do anything no they didn't i mean i think they they didn't even really get the matchup that they wanted for middleton he ended up just having to go against brown i think they like thought about setting a screen and then they kind of waved him away didn't get into it and so tucker grabs the rebound with well yeah he just punches it out from among like four nets yeah and then and so that so you wonder at that point you know the the bucks control it i think it was about 18 seconds left you get maybe it was 19 or 20 and you get a you get a fresh 14 and i'm just like if you let this go down because remember it's not just like you get if you get necessarily a shot clock violation it's like a shot maybe it bounces off the rim hell maybe it goes in like you get get i i was wondering whether the nets were going to foul they did not and i thought yeah, they got six second differential i think that was the right that was the right move as it yeah turned it's out. It, i i well as it turned out especially i mean because and then i'm so thankful that this game didn't end with a Bucks loss in regulation primarily because I would have spent the first 10 minutes talking about what Brooke Lopez did in the ensuing situation so Budenholzer calls a timeout with I think it was like two seconds 1.9 left on the shot clock at you know that fresh 14 as they you know tried to get something going and I for the life of me will never understand what happened next because inbound the ball it goes to Brooke Lopez in the corner and yeah, they ran the play for Brooke Lopez to get a three in the corner and then they, the Nets closed out well to their credit. But Brooke yeah, Lopez, K- like... KD was on him. He yeah, got through it. All, Kevin all, you, all you have to do, like, put the ball up. It, it, you Even if you airball it, you run a little bit of extra time. And remember, when he gets the ball, there's eight seconds left in the game. Well, well, he wouldn't have run any extra time if he airballed. Well, I guess if he, air, I guess if he airballed time. it. But, like, if you hit any rim, if you get anything on that... And, and also, it's almost definite. Like, this is one of the... You talk about the circumstances where teams don't go after the glass hard enough. Unless you, like 
like completely screw it up. The other team's going to call a timeout. So if you like, if you hit rim there, there's a pretty decent chance that you get that under under three seconds. And if you if anybody on your team gets the rebound or just touches it, you probably burn extra time. Yeah, I talked about that on the cast of do they have is there a possibility of going no timeout? And with 6.1, six second differential, probably not, especially when I when it gets knocked out of bounds with eight seconds left in the game, two second differential, and, and they only have that chance. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if the Bucks coach said to him, hey, like, if you're not wide open, just eat it. Um, And I think he ended up trying to pass it back out real quickly. And he, they, yeah, they he, he, uh, that, which is, which to me, like, was, was, was even weirder because yeah. like, so that probably wasn't it, it then, if, if, yeah, if that, if they, and, they and didn't tell the other that. thing you can say is like once the that you can do there is once if you want to be more cautious about it, once Lopez shoots the ball, like three guys just run to the backcourt, you know, just you know, so you're not going to concede anything on a timeout, like just to run a little bit extra, like eating it to me, like I was going ballistic because it's just like the the upside is just so low, and there is some downside to be sure of of taking the shot, but I, I was I was I was ballistic. Yeah, I, I don't think I I found it as as objectionable as you did but so shot clock turnover nets use their last time out they bring in jeff green for bruce brown and they got kd the ball against tucker again no double team amazingly and kd i mean he didn't get any separation like he tried to drive hard left from uh, the right wing got inside the arc slightly tucker stayed with him and then he basically hit almost the same shot that damian lillard did in fact probably about two inches away from being the same shot that damian uh, lillard well did. i mean it's probably because because kevin durant's feet are a little bit larger than damian lillard's it might have even been from the same spot it's just that kevin durant's feet are bigger yeah and i mean it was still it was incredible footwork against a great defender and just really really impressive shot over his left shoulder i mean it was it was a shot that when you see the guy take it you're like that's a 25 percent shot at best right like this is not a good shot not one you'd expect to go in but somehow he made it it was clear right away that it was going to be a two and tie it at 109 so i mean one of the greatest shots in nba playoff history and and pj tucker i mean he did everything you could ask him to do in one-on-one defense yeah particularly because you know you're not only trying to protect against the three in that situation like and you're trying to stop them from getting any bucket at all so you know we don't have to go through the entire overtime well we shouldn't because it was gross part of the <laughs> Well, you know, the both teams got good shots at times and just missed them. Um, you know, well, Bruce Brown's ju- hustle for that offense, that offensive rebound. I mean, like there were some yeah. pushing there too, but it, it, it won't take us long to talk about uh, the Nets baskets in the in the uh, in the overtime. Oh, by the way, yeah, they they did have one second left in regulation, and Giannis tried a, a fadeaway, which was embarrassingly not close. He actually could have gotten a semi decent look there, at the side of the shot out. clock. Yeah, I mean, it was it was yeah, it, it was it wasn't a good shot. I mean, they, they tried, the Nets really defended it well. They tried to get Chris Middleton going into the corner first. That was completely taken away. And then they got it in the post to Giannis. I, I, what I was telling them they should do is just like basically try to run something where they station Brooke Lopez, like almost like right under the rim and just try to throw it in his general vicinity and see if he could make a catch and put it in because the Nets just didn't really have anyone with like the size and standing reach that he had, but they, they didn't go in that direction. I think he, he wasn't even in at the time. 
Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So, yeah, Bruce Brown get another great offensive rebound after Giannis and Blake Griffin both go flying. That was off another wide-open Joe Harris miss three. Bucks just it got some decent looks. Uh, KD got some decent looks as well. Holiday missed a wide-open three from the left wing. Uh, Harden missed a pretty decent look at a step back. He also had a couple of possessions where he was just dribbling, 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 one of which led to KD taking a 38-foot, one-foot three. That's just barely, barely missed, missed off the back rim. Oh, man. Uh, amazingly. Brooke Lopez, we talked about it, had two, actually three fantastic oh, and I, and, challenges. And I, I made a sarcastic reference on that one because KD, you know, has has the flaming bag and throws it up. But Bruce Brown gets the rebound, and that was the one where they got like three. They got three opportunities, didn't score on any of them, but because he just heaved it, they got an oppor- They got a chance. Um, yeah, Harden tried a catch and shoot three, just missed it again. I mean, he looked, he took it with no hesitation, like he, he definitely had it in mind that he needed. Oh well, but before the those. Harden three was PJ Tucker's foul. Yeah, what did you think of that? To I didn't like it on that play. I, I, I yeah. thought that. I mean, to me, when somebody is putting their hands on you and they're not supposed to be able to do that and you're knocking their hands off that's probably not a foul on the person knocking the hands off like it's not like pj tucker had the ball or he was doing some sort of push off or anything like blake griffin was blake griffin if there was a foul there to me it was blake griffin on pj tucker blake griffin who also had five fouls at the same time yeah i mean it was sort of just like little infighting it was way off the ball because harden had gotten Giannis switched onto him with like five on the shot clock it was looking like it was headed towards an ugly possession and then you heard the whistle blow and you're like what is this and you know because i didn't see it in real time i was looking at the ball and it was the second time that tucker had like very violently shoved his arm off with both hands but i think you know at that point that's the time when the referee can say knock it off you guys you know and you know it's pretty loud in there maybe that's just not an option at that point in the game but it was i mean it was a play that didn't affect the game ultimately and you know there's yeah you got to keep control of the game but you know it wasn't going to get out of control at that point in time so it was you know he did at least mark davis waited until the second time that he did it and they do call that that is like a point of education that's something that they call but yeah i mean they could have really 
stood to let that one go i would say uh so then harden misses the wide open three off a nice penetration by harris which kd first set up and then the nets are pushing it down Giannis makes a beautiful pass to lopez after kd forced the pass and then kd also ties up brooke lopez unbelievable yeah this is after like two nets went flying for the offensive rebound on the other end so they got a fast break i mean that was just a great play brooke lopez a great finisher i thought he was just going to go up and lay it in um but then in a piece of basketball justice kevin durant quick tips it which he shouldn't have been allowed to do but he quick tips it out of bounds his own way so it's bucks ball anyway yeah and maybe that was one like harden was there you know if he maybe you could have reacted faster with the if it weren't for the hamstring but you know it landed out of bounds pretty quickly um and so then the bucks get the ball back like if if uh, this is a minute 30 left pretty much at this point and the bucks still haven't scored in the entire overtime it's still 111 109 nets and they now have switched uh griffin onto Giannis. Giannis drives baseline i thought the nets did not do a good enough job of getting help on that particular left side iso at points in the game and this might have been one of them because everyone else was on the weak side right like they had no spacing you know pj or Tucker was fouled out by that point but you know they they had guys who just were not in position to do anything on the weak side but they never really brought help over and then Blake Griffin, clear foul. You know, he sticks his sticks both forearms on him as he's facing up. That's a foul. But I was surprised that it was not considered a shooting foul. Uh, you know, he was kind of so far on the baseline that maybe they felt like, hey, he couldn't have shot it from there, even if he was really going to pick the ball up to shoot it. But good news for the Bucks that it wasn't a shooting foul because uh, Giannis would not have wanted to be at the foul line. And so now KD is on Giannis and Giannis scored isolation in the post against KD using a pretty pretty liberal push up but that's that hook shot that's the one shot that i wanted to have and the other one is just that free throw line jumper and he's got to make that hook shot more in this series like it got to actually be a semi-decent weapon for him and so that ties it the huge shot uh and then we had what i feel is the biggest play of overtime yeah well tell us about it so durant i thought this was one of his better attacks of ot he gets the ball it's driving on the left side and tries to get to the basket and brooke lopez just beats him to the spot blocks it and then I mean but so the thing is like that you know that's an important play but then they kick the ball out the Nets recover it kick the ball out to Joe Harris and Joe Harris misses the three that would have put Brooklyn up three with a minute to go yeah wide open as well and then the Bucks come down Chris Middleton pick and roll Bruce Brown stays with him pretty well KD is guarding Giannis Brown is on him at the free throw line area so KD elects to stay with with Giannis that's what you should do in that situation but Middleton just gets a nice beautiful spin back over his right shoulder has a little size advantage on brown and gives him a two-point lead with 40.7 left so good time out here by nash to set up the two for one they get it i thought kd got a really good look from the right elbow with 35 seconds left and he just missed it you know it happens sometimes even even to kevin durant in this game and then another totally stagnant bucks possession leads to middleton missing a 12-foot pull-up and at this point down to 12 seconds left when they get the rebound kd gets the rebound and they elect not to call timeout and i think that 
in retrospect that was a mistake now let him let him push it up absolutely but i thought it was just as soon as harden or as soon as katie gave it up to harden as he was crossing half court i was like "Uh oh like he looks really tired here uh you know like it's having the game that he's having to give it up to harden knowing where harden is at at this point and harden was like no no you better go get the ball right now and he gives it back to him but still at that point they got nothing going on and i think at that point you know hindsight is 2020 this isn't like bad coaching or anything like that but i thought nash could have taken the last time out at that point i mean in durant i had noticed it going back to that drive and the the layup that got that brooke lopez blocked it didn't seem like he had much burst left and i think we we saw it we didn't quite have enough legs was short on the on that that clean look from two on the possession before and it, as you said it was not an obvious decision and i like trying to push it and get it because one of the reasons that you yeah. don't that you that you don't call a timeout is the other team can get yeah. superior we, we were advocates, personnel. We were advocates for no timeout before it was cool. Although the Bucks didn't have anyone else that they could have gone to. Exactly. Like that, that too, was, right? well, I mean, they, I guess, could have brought in Thanasis. Uh, yeah. I mean, that maybe you could say that the Nets could have gone with some more offensive personnel sure. as well. But no, I mean, I think once, and then even once kd had it and he was like back to goal 40 feet from the rim against holiday who's like a heart you know he he does good work posting up holiday but it's hard to like face up on holiday and get separation so i think a timeout would have been good there i was just like it just didn't look like something good was going to happen for what he just didn't have the same alacrity like and i think he was just tired in that moment um which you know i mean it had only been 30 seconds of play at that point but it's still very intense and you know the fact that he gave it up as well to harden like it didn't seem like he was just in the right mindset that he needed to be in and so yeah and he just never really was able to even like attempt to get great separation he kind of took the same shot that he had taken over tucker but it just he didn't have his legs under him you could tell and it was so short but i mean he like you if you watch his face they zoomed in on like it looked like he thought it was going in and it was like three feet short you know it was just and it was just such a letdown end to just have him i mean it just seemed clear that he just did not have it in him to make a move at at that point in time and it was great defense by holiday not to take any credit there but it was just it it was and i didn't even really notice it on the the play that lopez blocked and he still got pretty good separation and got a good look the previous time like this was to me this was the first time you know he was obviously like struggling to get up and exhausted and stuff but this was the first time like on the court where i was like all right he just doesn't have it anymore and it just happened at like the absolute worst point in the game and and that was it at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen the rest of the way. I mean, I think you can make a case that crazy as it is, the Bucks might be the favorites for the NBA championship right now, as bad as they played throughout this series. I mean, they they deserve to lose this series. I will say that, like, because the, the Nets had one guy on the other team, and that one guy was unbelievable, but... uh 
the Bucks should have been able to score better than they did in this series against the Nets. Yeah, even with KD playing at, at a good good clip and Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown playing the series of their lives, um, you know, certainly had the Nets been healthy, you would say that it would not have been a close series, and it almost wasn't anyway. But but they weren't. And well, and you uh, and you wonder you wonder. I mean, going back to Game Three, remember that was a game that Brooklyn could have very easily won as well when they had that weird oh, sure. the weird possession at the end where they didn't really pick up anybody and drew holiday gets the layup when they went from one up to one down and this could have the series it could it was it could have much i mean it could have gone 3-0 it couldn't have gone one you know one two because they kicked the bucks ass in the first two games and then milwaukee you know they they did stabilize and i i was impressed that they kind of kept on fighting and that was a pretty big hit to get worked the way yeah. that they did after I mean, Harden they, went they down. played hard and they played very good defense but offensively it was a disappointing series and you know they just missed a lot of shots um but i guess the question will become you know we'll, we'll find out who they play we'll do i guess a preview on maybe monday um i mean, won't start I mean until, just... it won't start until wednesday we could do it on tuesday oh yeah 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 all right uh monday off <laughs> as we say it's at, at 1 16 a.m pacific time right now but i mean how are you just how are you going to remember this series i mean part of that will be determined by you know what the bucks go on to do and you know perhaps if they win the championship and and they do it in impressive fashion but you know none of these teams that are left really are you like blown away by I me mean, maybe the suns if if paul is back and uh the Clippers, I you know, even with Kawhi, there's no way Kawhi would be at full strength. You would think by the time they they play the Bucks. So I mean, to me, like maybe I shouldn't be disappointed because uh you know they did not play very well in this series, and I should accept that that's what the Bucks are. But I will still be disappointed if they don't win the NBA championship. at this point, they have the most talent. I think Brooklyn did have some systemic advantages against them, but I mean, if they can't beat Philly with Joel Embiid injured and, or I mean the freaking Atlanta Hawks then you know I mean that that'll be a massive disappointment as well but it'll just it's always just going to be so such a weird I mean it was a classic series incredibly hard fought and KD almost did it but he still couldn't and that you know I'll I'll remember him probably more than anything from this series and you know I'll remember this incredible Bucks defense and PJ Tucker like his his effort in this series was just wonderful I really enjoyed that matchup between KD and Tucker more I mean I can't remember a one-on-one one matchup that I've enjoyed more. I mean, maybe you'd say Iguodala and LeBron in the 2015 finals, but the Warriors switched everything, right? Like PJ Tucker, he did not have that luxury in this series. No. He had to get through every screen and well, he never stopped. Something that I found so fascinating about this series is that partially because it was so long and you, the, the key players played so many minutes, it seemed like a lot of different players had moments in the sun and then had moments in the deep shadows. I mean, you, had, you I drew holiday had a lot of moments in the shadows overall in this series. I mean, that's, it's amazing when you think about those three huge shots he hit in at the end of the fourth quarter, holiday shot 38% from the field in regular in, in this series and just really couldn't find a shot, but he, you know, hit a few when it mattered most. Bruce Brown had his moments. Jeff Green's game five was, was, was truly incredible. And another guy who 
was totally injured in this series. Yes, but Durant is is a one. But then both of these coaches being like, "Well, screw it, I don't have anything else," and just basically only playing their best guys, pushing them exceedingly hard. You know, whether I mean this game is a great encapsulation of it with five starters playing over fifty minutes, and then you have Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez and Joe Harris pretty closely behind that behind those guys, and the competition, the level, the the level of of effort and the necessity of said effort I, I think it is really memorable and also I, it's a it was a strange series in the sense that it, there were a lot of these like memorable things like game one I mean we were doing it for the live show and we're so despondent about Harden and then the the Nets the just have that dominant performance and then so like for me you have this series where there are only I would classify it as like three truly close games. You had game three with that crazy ending. You had game five, the Kevin the Kevin Durant spectacle. And then you had this one. And all three of those were just iconic, super memorable, weird. I mean, game game three might not have been iconic, but like super memorable, really interesting. And then outside of that, you had blowouts of surprising and not surprising varieties. I mean, I will remember just what an absolute war this series was. Like, I mean, just the the level of competition and competitiveness on the floor by both teams and just the fighting through injury and just like how much both teams cared. Like that might be the biggest thing that uh, I'll take away from this. And I think also the level of respect that the teams had for one another, you know, there really weren't many like altercations or anything, but it was just like great competition the whole way, you know, and also you could tell the level of respect that they had for one another by just how many minutes that they played their guys, right? Like that was, I I don't think we're going to see Mike Budenholzer play his guys this many minutes now, maybe, I mean, they've also kind of been in desperation mode in this series since game two to where they just were like, all right, we got to do this. But the Nets were in desperation mode in game one of this series they when were. Harden goes down and playing Kyrie and Durant the minutes that they were playing them. And, and I wonder I wonder if this will like, if this is going to change things, if like more teams are going to be like, fuck it, we're just playing our guys the whole game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that was pretty, pretty unique what Kyrie was doing and what Durant was doing. And, you know, I mean, it's interesting that that Harden was doing that in the, this time. I think he was just, he might've just been doing it because KD was doing it, frankly, um, because he wasn't doing it in Houston when he was more important to the show. But then again, he was also, you know, needed to breaks at that point and it was making more explosive moves. I guess when you can't make explosive movements, maybe you don't get as tired. <laughs> but so I, you know, I don't think this will change, be like a big change in terms of the minutes paradigm, but it just, it's just an indication of like how just deadly serious this series was and, and, and at least like this game seven, even though Harden was injured, I think this was the game that was played at the level by both teams that like I wanted to see throughout this series. Like I thought the Agreed. Bucks, I thought the Bucks, other than just Middleton and Holiday really struggling to shoot. Like I thought this was a game where they played well. I thought Giannis played well. Brooke Lopez was good. The defense was really good. It, there were just very few overall mistakes by the Bucks defense. It may be in strategy, but certainly not in execution. That that's part of what the whole deal is. Well, and and, and also the Bucks doing something that I think we'll see more of in the next round, which is deterring shots around the basket. Now, not only the Brook Lopez, but like the, the Nets took 16 shots from floater range in this game. That That's a lot compared to, they didn't take a ton in the restricted area. Also, the Nets, they got to the line 25 times, but it was a little bit different in the kind of the way that it happened. But one of the other big picture things, I don't know that I'll remember about this series because it's going to get further context a year from now, but I'm so excited for the Nets playoff run in 2022. Like this is thinking about what 
like this team now basically having potentially one bite at the apple before all these guys hit free agency maybe some of them sign extensions my inclination my inclinations that they probably won't i think they kind of want to see where it goes but i mean considering who was available and who wasn't available to have a series where when they were even well they weren't ever healthy but when they were close they looked this good like it might be the one year or hopefully longer than that buzzsaw that we just didn't get to see this time yeah i think so and i i will always remain disappointed by the level of injuries these players i mean going back even to the lakers who remember them uh and, and unfortunately it might not be over yet like that's the other yeah huge factor here yeah Kawhi. i mean Embiid has been out there and has had some dominant moments but also probably has been you know still has had times when it clearly has been limiting him as well so i you know i am i mean we're, there have been classic games in these playoffs i mean these two clippers wins against the jazz i mean those are really impressive classic performances by teams that lost their best guys the same thing with the nets in this series as well so I mean, like that part of it like that indomitable nature of sport like i i've appreciated all that even if just the overall level of basketball hasn't been as high as we would have wanted to to so many superstars being out of it and, and um, I'm i mean super heck, exci- heck, even even the hawks are missing like two starters now probably yeah. um yeah let, let's 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 well, wrap and- up what was the last thing you're gonna say there I'm I'm really excited to see where this Buck story goes. Yeah, and this is this is now unambiguously their best opportunity. And what happens from here? Now their roster is pretty close to settled. I mean, we talked earlier in the day about like the potential of Rick Carlisle trying to take the reins here. Well, we'll see if there are even reins to take over. And Milwaukee potentially getting getting that title opportunity, or at least getting a real chance at it, is going to be huge for their franchise after Giannis signed that extension and. I don't know where it's going. I'm. Pr- I think I'm probably going to pick them in the next series and feel queasy about it the entire damn time. But I, I won't. But it's. I, I. I am. I am interested in in where that goes. Yeah. I. You know. I mean. They could. It's quite possible that they could win the NBA championship, and I'll kind of be thinking like they kind of did it without really even being that impressive, right? Like it, it. Like they could just be well. None of our superstars got injured, and everyone else did, right? It could. It could be that. Or you know, hey, if you go, if you go through and you sweep philly and you take care of phoenix uh in short order okay maybe i can buy a little bit more but i mean i'll still remember that they should not have won series based and that they won it kind of due to injuries i mean you know now is that fair and i think you know that's a little bit different to me than you know say like the raptors in 2019 right like they win but they're already up 3-1 now that's with katie i mean i guess it's a little different when you know the guy starts the series out and so you could say hey that one quarter with kd like the warriors would have beat him etc but i also like that raptors team had already beaten like two great teams to get to that point and we knew that the golden state warriors were like an all-time team there wouldn't have been any shame in losing to them um but you know i think i continue to believe that this series would not have been close had Kyrie irving not sprained his ankle in game four like i mean maybe it would have been a six gamer but and obviously had Harden not gotten hurt as well so i like is that not being fair to the bucks in their moment of triumph i mean it's just you just got to remember that they kind of lucked out here like that was the case like they did not play well enough early in this series to deserve to win this series and fortune i mean they, they fought back right like they won game three they fought back in that incredibly ugly game and they were 
you know starting to kind of take over in game four and drew was given Kyrie problems but uh but still i i think that they they did not play well enough early in this year they did not play well enough in game five to to where i would think man like these guys deserve to win this series but you only got to play well enough i guess in four games against the guys who are in front of you so that that is kind of a shame even if this was a classic series and i will always remember these games in this competition i think it is kind of important context to remember that all right well that's is this the longest we've ever talked about one game it might be this is like an hour and 20 minutes of recording time it's up there yeah yeah maybe maybe like game game six of the 2016 west finals and well and this was the anniversary of game seven of the 2016 finals yeah that was the other one there we we talked about that a, a ton as well but this was a lot of fun and this i mean this may be basically game seven of the nba finals like we may look back on this and be like yeah this this game determined the nba champion this year well what a crushing disappointment it has been for the two number one seeds in each conference here in this postseason you know it's funny like this playoffs has almost been more like an ncaa tournament with some of the upsets and the injuries and favorites going down but both utah and philly had somewhat similar stories built around centers conventional defensive schemes where you wondered if it would hold up in the playoffs they were not necessarily favored to come out of their conferences but had wonderful regular seasons and then everything in the conference broke right for them all of a sudden where it looked like brooklyn had a bunch of injuries for philly same thing with the the jazz the clippers had a bunch of injuries the lakers even the suns with chris paul and if they could just have made it through they might have had a a pretty good chance they probably would have liked their chances reasonably well against the Milwaukee Bucks. The 76ers would have. And, and instead, Joel Embiid suffers the meniscus injury in game four against Washington. He comes back. He looks unbelievable in the first two games against the Hawks, but they lose one of those. And then it seemed like he just could not keep up his level of energy due to the knee or the conditioning in these games and would come out like a house of fire and fade over the course of the games the philadelphia 76ers lost three home games in this series to the atlanta hawks and they are going home in what something we'll talk about too maybe ben simmons last night in a sixers uniform and while it is totally justified to make the 76ers the lead story here especially when the ramifications for the franchise could be so high and this was not only their best chance at winning the east but their best chance at a championship when you consider what's going on in the western conference and to not even make the conference finals with their bracket is a gargantuan disappointment remember there were three high-end teams in the east the one seed had the huge advantage of not having to face either until the conference finals and the hawks but but i i want to like we we acknowledge that but i want to praise the hawks for winning ugly for not necessarily competing in transition defense but for winning the possession game for getting just enough offense from some of their support players and trey young never losing confidence he had a brutal individual scoring game at times for most of the game but he still had the confidence to take the big shots and make some huge passes yeah and you mentioned that trade did not have it but the one player maybe for either team frankly who did have it was one 
Kevin Herter. Huge game. And Herter, you know, known as a three-point shooter, but also a, a guy who his ball skills ha- have intrigued. And you know, I remember going through doing some scouting reports on him, and I'm like, all right, you know, he's got this this pick and roll ability, but you know, he doesn't really get all the way to the rim. And he's he can pass a little bit, he can dribble, but he's kind of tall. He's got a little bit more of a loose handle. Yeah, you know, where are you really going with this? Like, is this a guy that you really want to put the ball in his hands? But the answer in this game with Trey Young being shut down and also frankly just missing shots and Bogdanovich only able to play 21 minutes I mean he was clearly hobbled was to go to Kevin Herter and he played 40 minutes he spent a lot of time with Gallo at the three and him at the two he led with 27 points the Hawks only had one turnover which was huge after he struggled so badly in game one with that he's been a good rebounder he helped out there three assists but really it was working into the mid-range and making tough buckets near the foul line and that option was there because the Sixers have to have a Furkan Korkmaz or a Seth Curry or maybe a Shake Milton on the floor just about all the time and Herder was able to take advantage of those guys just enough the foul on hit a couple of really deep threes that's the only thing he has is some very deep range and he was probably the best offensive player in this game he was and Herder you brought up he had two really deep threes that he was two of four from long distance but 27 points 10 of 18 from the field and you brought up the the limitations that we we thought about with Herder somebody we didn't watch film of back when he was playing because he was a little bit deeper in that draft but he was seven of 11 from mid-range in this game some of those were, were were nice looks some of those were really really tough looks and he was yeah. able to to make some of those herder no shots in the restricted area but he did get fouled for seven free throws and he made five five of those seven missed a couple of weird ones and had some nice distribution and also herder was the other fulcrum in what was the best part of atlanta's offense in the in the clutch, clutch time which was that small small pick and roll yeah that was and i thought nate mcmillan called time out midway through the fourth they didn't have much working and they they tried that a little bit but particularly with trey kind of struggling and the Sixers were able to clean up their point of attack defense from game five the last couple of games they weren't just getting blown by on the perimeter but that's what enabled a, a couple of huge plays first there was Trey getting penetration getting an alley-oop to Clint Capella along the baseline I think Trey set up four Capella dunks on this one but as we've talked about the read is harder for Embiid when he's not directly involved in the pick and roll to step up and then his momentum's going forward and, and Capella can sneak behind him and Trey is the greatest alley-oop passer of all time and then Trey actually missed Herder on the pick and pop but was able to get just enough of a look off that pick and pop to get a floater which was big uh, Trey also had a huge 29 footer off the dribble in pick and roll I forget did that one come off the small small pick and roll too Simmons was on him I can't remember exactly how it happened um but yeah so that puts him up 93-87 late uh, and then the other huge play that has to be talked about obviously 93-87 Sixers come back they get within one under a minute to go Matisse Thibel put in as a defensive replacement after Seth Curry commits a non-shooting foul and Matisse Thibel late in the clock clubs Kevin Herter in the head on the left wing on what was going to be an impossible three for Herter three free throws Hawks up two possessions and that and that was it yeah I'll just note it was 93-92 when that foul happened um oh thank you yeah yeah it was 93-92 um under a minute to go 
both teams had been just searching for something. Trey Young had hit that big three, but then Tobias Harris got a finish, and uh, Kevin Herter committed one of the smartest fouls I've seen in a long time when Trey Young turned it over. He turned it over in their offensive half. Simmons gets the ball, and Kevin Herter just fouls him. So instead of getting a transition opportunity, and the Hawks were truly terrible in transition defense in this game, Instead of that, Ben Simmons takes two free throws. He splits them, and so the margin only goes to three instead of potentially going lower than that. Yeah, that was a, a big play. It felt like you might see it play out in somewhat similar fashion at the end of game one with Simmons, you know, knocked it away twice from Trey. They got him stuck in the corner. Trey had to throw it off of his off of his leg. But I, the Sixers also never went back to that pressure because they were kind of trying to get offensive personnel on the floor once they went down four. So, I mean, that that was the biggest play of the game. I mean, the, I, I think the Sixers could have, were probably even money, I think, if they had just let that miss happen to have the ball down one with at least some of the momentum but yeah that was just an absolute killer and the the last uh, of his points uh there was one last gasp for the sixers down 98 92 after well so so actually we should talk about that too because they tried to run a pick and pop for Embiid down by four after those three free throws Embiid is wide open for a pick and pop three but just didn't want to take it I mean now they had enough time to get the two for one and play defense down the other end you know it wasn't that situation with the shot clock off where you really need a three down four but he's wide open and instead you know Gallo comes out there on him he liked that matchup and Danilo Gallinari, not known for his defense, although I thought he did a good job at Embiid when he got caught on him this series, without fouling, pulls the chair on him just slightly, reaches around and tips it away, and then sprints down the other end for a dunk that put him up six. Yeah, and another smart play by Kevin Herter. Gallo was the, the lion's share of the work there, but the ball pops to Herter, and he throws it immediately to Gallinari and on line enough that he can get a finish without a foul or anything else. And Gallinari's a good free throw shooter, so it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. And Herter had just made three in a row. But yeah, I mean, it's a, a huge thing. And so Herter, I thought John Collins had some big baskets in the early well, going. Well, actually, actually what, one other thing about the end of the game here sure. first before we kind of go through the uh, some of the performances, but they still the Sixers still might have had a chance chance with 42 seconds left they use their last time out advance the ball that's the right move there you got to get the two for one it's still a two possession game although you obviously need two threes and they get run off the line pretty well shake milton gets it underneath uh and clearly got fouled by john collins with no call it makes a really difficult layup which he also traveled on <laughs> yeah so on so broadcast. what it should have been it should have been a shooting it should have been a shooting foul where he gets two and not the end one and instead he gets two points so it you could say it kind of came out in the wash but then atlanta did something that i always love which is inst and when you remember the history of this series that philly's pressure caused them some real problems philly didn't really have a plan to attack right away and so after milton makes that weird ass play the they just get the ball into trey young and trey young gets fouled so they didn't no worries about getting the pressure there had been earlier plays like where the hawks were inbounding actually in the offensive half where they were getting trapped a double trey had to burn their second to last time out in a similar circumstance and it, I mean, so to be able to get that and then Trey uh, splits the free throws, but they're already up five with 35 seconds to go. It gets really hard from there and Bede misses the three and it's over. But now I want to get back to, to Collins. I thought that Collins had a, he wasn't like dominant in a lot of this game, but I thought he had some small things that worked really well. And one of the most stunning parts was Collins' success was not really doing, you know, lobs from Trey Young or any of that kind of stuff. It was some kind of interesting do-it-yourself stuff. He had a floater, had a couple of, had a couple of mid-rangers and 
and also did the other things that we know John Collins for competed on the offensive glass most notably yeah I mean it wasn't a big offensive rebounding game for either team but he had three and also he was the main guy guarding Tobias Harris on the other end and Harris was eight of 24 I thought Harris really you know of all the guys who had looks in this game Trey would be up there too but he just had some very good looks I mean his his shot chart was just a sea of tears for the Sixers (sighs) yeah I mean at one point in the game Harris was two for five in the restricted area he ended up four for seven he had a couple actually pretty good banks in the in the very very late going but missing three shots in the restricted area that can mean a lot of different things two of those were layups in transition and then the other one was a missed tip dunk which I believe was eventually called basket interference, but it was a missed tip dunk. And all of those were preventable. Harris was then, so as you noted when we were talking about the this, on the live show, you compound that struggle in the restricted area that Tobias Harris was two of nine from floater range. So he was- Yeah, so which was, is like supposed to be kind of his bread and butter too. Right, and so yes- Ben Simmons deserves plenty of of scorn and blame, and we will talk about that. Tobias Harris might end up skating, and Matisse Thibel for that horrendous three shot foul might end up skating a little bit. And they, I don't know what the reverse of like Flowers is, but they deserve their share too. No, absolutely. And Harris was, I thought those he was getting some pretty good looks there as well, and, and had a chance to make some big momentum plays that that missed out. Uh, you know, Philly had twenty three fast break points in this game, I and mean, that shows you how terrible their half-court offense was you know when they really you know they scored 96 points what was their offensive efficiency for the game it was a whopping 98 96 points on 98 possessions yeah so when you consider they had 23 fast break points and many of those came in the second half the hawks transition defense was terrible at times and trey you know trey just in particular being frustrated missing shots like on his misses in particular they really did not do a good job of getting back uh, but they also missed some chances in transition, I thought, in the fourth. In particular, the threes stopped going down uh, as well in this game for them. Although Seth Curry still was three out of five, at least Atlanta. I thought Atlanta did a much better job of just being ready for the two-man game with him and Embiid and just not letting him get as many looks. They held him to 10 field goal attempts, which basically, if Seth Curry's getting a shot off, like he's going to make a fair number of them. Also only played 31 minutes because uh, Doc Rivers wanted him to be really rested to uh, go up against Joe Harris in the next round i mean sorry next season because uh they are going home just like the brooklyn nets are uh he did end up with five i think one of those was an intentional foul or, or no actually one of them was a, an uh a non-shooting foul in the last couple of minutes but, but and they probably should have put him out the there same earlier point, it's the same point that we make all the time which is that when you sit a guy for too long with foul trouble you ensure the outcome that you're trying to avoid and yes yeah. having Seth Curry out there for the last couple of minutes is important because Philly was having some real trouble getting they actually had better offense in the like the last couple of minutes than they did in that middle the gross gross middle part of the fourth quarter but more Seth Curry is better than less Steph Curry Seth Curry well both but and and that was a challenge and I mean so you you brought up like Herder was the only was like the only Hawk that was good offensively in this game especially as a scorer I mean Trey had some spectacular passes and Collins was fine in a small role it was Embiid and Curry that had to do it again because no other Sixer stepped up offensively and not that many of them stepped up defensively either yeah well Embiid did I thought Embiid was no I'm saying outside of Embiid and Curry oh yeah yeah um yes yeah, so i you know the trey didn't shoot five of 23 from three by himself i thought thibel had some really good moments but sure. yeah I, you know this has been a criticism of him that three shot foul a criticism of him of mine for a long time is just that he staying solid in the best moments like he you know 
he gets a ton of steals and blocks considering how little he fouls but he also does commit fouls and i thought he was good on trey in the fourth he avoided fouling there but then he fouled fouled herder i mean he knew he did it right away too well, and, it, was, it was really and, rough and there's a challenge with thibault and it comes up with players who are talented in bigger roles and smaller roles which is can he do some of those aggressive you know the veer backs and the the contest the contests and everything else while toning down the foul because like the kevin herder play at some points you just have to take the win you have to take this as a really hard shot and you you did what you needed to do and if Thibel can separate those two and say you know I did my job get through it then it makes him a much more dangerous player it makes him somebody that could you know if he tones up the the offensive game that, that can really be there and something that I thought was so fascinating about this game it's going back to crunch time but it's it's not necessarily for that point was remembering that part of why Atlanta went to those small small pick and rolls is that Ben Simmons as you know he's on the floor ostensibly in those minutes for his defense he's certainly not on the floor for his offense he's not involved in those actions for the most part no that's true he was guarding John Collins for a, a lot of the the fourth quarter and part of that was he was in foul trouble but he only finished up with four yeah I mean it would have been nice if they could have switched those actions they eventually went to George Hill to try to get a little bit more defense out there but it's, if they could add Thibel and Simmons switching those actions but obviously those two on the floor it's very hard to score as well and Doc Rivers you know he did make an adjustment in terms of Joel Embiid's rotation where they took him out in the middle of the first and third went back to the old Brett Brown three stints approach although I don't think they ever took him out again in the fourth but uh and that seemed to work okay like Embiid came out like gangbusters and they had him dribbling the ball up a little bit more attacking hard from the perimeter against Capella got two fouls on Capella uh who ended up with three though as you could see Embiid kind of slipped as the game went on but yeah i mean he wasn't able to like face up and attack off the dribble and blow by guys and go through guys the way he was early and that also put dwight howard out there with some different groups he played a lot of his minutes together with ben simmons which is never amazing howard also had a huge play with a flagrant foul on john collins where he just clocked him in the head that ended up being i can't remember they scored on that possession but it obviously was the two free throws uh that collins hit and the ball off a nice offensive rebound by collins they did not still i mean to have not even tried ben simmons at center for the entire series i thought was just really weird because they used it in the last series too and i guess they're like well they got some size so we can't do that or something i just and particularly as a way to potentially have said hey ben now you're out here this is your show to run and maybe try to get him to be more aggressive as well and we'll, we'll save our discussion on simmons for the end obviously uh you know doc also i mean he was just again he's playing that bench roulette which i completely you know sometimes he's playing roulette because i think he's just too inconsistent and has, doesn't really have a good theory for what's going to work but with this team just with these bench guards maxi and cork and shake milton shake milton and hill maybe to a lesser extent but they just had to try to try guys out right? like maxi saves their season in game six but they was terrible in this game he had two turnovers couldn't hit a shot um you know had a couple of free throws that was it you know he didn't really get his normal minutes in the second and then he went to shake milton to start the fourth after he hadn't played the whole time going back to what worked in game two where shake came in shake didn't really give him much either at that point uh so the the uh the Sixers bench hurt him again. Although at least at least Joel Embiid was negative two in this game, so you can't you can't 
uh, lose the game seven quite the same way you did back in 2019 if, if you're the Sixers? No, I mean, they were worked in the non-Embiid minutes. They were outscored by five in seven minutes there, but that yeah. wasn't that wasn't the margin in the same way that it was before. And part of that was, I thought, not perfect minutes, but I thought Nyeko Kongwu again helped helped out. And the, the staggering of, you know, like Embiid shifting his minutes around created some truly weird offensive co- collections for the Sixers. And there were points when they got a couple stops that they were able to get offense in transition but Simmons and Howard being out there together and I mean there was one time where Tobias Harris tried to do a drive and he actually got a little bit of separation but then he couldn't get anywhere because there were already four guys standing in the paint yeah it, it was definitely difficult I mean neither team could hit anything from downtown I mean the fact honestly the Hawks probably should have won this series by more in the end like I felt like they should have won game six uh, they should have won game four by more. Uh, and like they shot the three ball terribly in this series for what's ostensibly a good three-point shooting team. And Bogdanovich was basically a shell by the end. Obviously, they didn't even have Hunter to begin with. Now, Embiid... I mean, I think we can kind of shift to just, well, obviously we got plenty of time before Wednesday to talk about Hawks, Bucks, by the way, your uh, championship favorite Milwaukee Bucks, by the way, even more so now maybe than they were after last night. Although I certainly think that the Suns would give them a very good series and could win that. But Embiid, the injury, I think definitely hurt. You know, we didn't get to see him go against a real defense in this playoffs. And I think, you know, the Hawks found ways and Capella got better as the series went along but you can say it was the injury which obviously is part of the whole calculation with Joel Embiid as well as you try to think about how good he is Uh, and you know this game he was 31 points 11 to 21 7 to 10 from the foul line but he had eight turnovers and so he wasn't really able whether it was the injury or just the nature of being a center and having to play as many minutes as he has to and wearing down or maybe not being still in the greatest condition um that he ultimately didn't do enough in this series and yes he wasn't the worst culprit he wasn't playing that far below his norms but for this Sixers team to be a championship contender he had to play like the best player in basketball like he kind of did and, during the regular season and, and unambiguously the best the, unambiguously the best player in the series and there were yeah. times that Embiid was that but then there were other times that he was not and for Embiid like there there were significant moments in this game where his rim his rim deterrence was was a real thing and that Atlanta yeah. they weren't taking they weren't taking their shots he, spook, he spooked them sometimes even when Embiid was not there but then there were I mean especially at the beginning of the third quarter Trey was able to generate looks not for himself but by getting and, and this isn't entirely Embiid's fault some of it is the separation that Trey Young was getting but he was able to draw Embiid away a little bit and then they were able to get baskets in the restricted area and for example in the third quarter six of seven for Atlanta there in a quarter where they couldn't make a three they were 0 for 4 from long distance and so I'm not saying like Embiid is the reason that the, that all that stuff happened but he wasn't able to prevent it the Hawks figured out a couple of little tricks that it's you you exploit it and that's also something we've talked about in terms of the limitations of a rim protector centric defense and so Embiid had his dominant moments and in this game I you know he and there were there were points where it's like oh they they don't really have much to stop him I thought it especially in the very early going Embiid's offense looked really good and he was getting all those shots on Capella but then overall in the second half Embiid got fouled a few times but three shots in the paint six mid-rangers four threes and he shot well on those but you could see that he wasn't that that's what he wanted and that's what you and I were going crazy on the live show where like Capella's conceded a couple of those shots and then when Gallinari well Gallinari did concede it but then Embiid didn't take it gets the steal that changes the game yeah and Gallo 
probably needs to get some more credit as well i thought his first quarter or maybe like you know probably his first five six minutes that he was in was just atrocious defensively he had a bunch of plays where he didn't know who he had he was not closing out on guys the way he needed to he was getting blown by had a a couple of just atrocious misses on jumpers early but then after that he hit six of eleven three of seven from three he was able to get just enough iso work on george hill to just give them a couple of points i mean it wasn't it wasn't like oh man they were gonna run the offense through him all the time but just with trey out of the game just to get a couple of buckets there i mean in a game where every bucket counted also nate mcmillan i thought coached a pretty good game this time he learned i think from leaving trey young on the bench too long in the fourth quarter of game six went back to him after philly went on a run for you know really i think it was only a minute and a half or so that trey rusted he played 43 minutes which is probably the most he realistically could have played uh in this game seven so i thought he managed he managed bogdanovich well it got him just a couple of minutes they needed someone to just eat those innings play a little defense on tobias harris to start the game but also you know didn't fall in love with him went uh, with gallo at the three just going to gallo at the three at all in this series rather than solomon hill or tony snell both of whom didn't play well obviously but you know he got to that really by game three that was the way he went to play gallo at the three and against this particular team that was able to work out so i thought you know and i don't i wouldn't say that like doc rivers coached a bad series in this game you know people talk pointed to some of the collapses like game five and stuff but uh that he should have done more but i think it's again if you had to put it on the coach or the limitations of the roster i'm putting it on the limitations of the roster first well that's a good transition into ben simmons and we could start with the stat that uh tom habershow tweeted out that ben simmons took three field goals in the attempts in the fourth quarter of this entire series and that was two in game one which he made and one in game three no shots from the field in four five six seven and i thought one of the most telling moments of this entire game oh man this was atrocious was when simmons got it was with gallinari gallinari goes for what you and i had a little bit different theories on it but i thought it was gallinari basically saying okay i'm gonna swipe for the steal and if i don't get the steal i'm gonna foul simmons and i don't care instead neither of those happens simmons has a wide open dunk the closest guy to him is trey young and simmons doesn't go up for the dunk doesn't try anything he just dumps it off to tobias here I want to say it was Thibel actually. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. It was Thibel. That's why. It, I so it's not there. even. It's not even like a great. I mean, yeah. So he's like got it. He might not have been in position to dunk it because he was right under the rim, but he certainly could have just laid it in. And he sees Trey coming over, who's just gonna like go for a strip or something. Probably would have just fouled him, but he was terrified. He just didn't want to go up. He didn't want to get fouled. I think you know. I, I am always loath to put thoughts into other people's heads when we talk about this, but you can't conclude anything else in that situation. And he had a number of hot potato plays every once in a while you would see him try and push it and but because you know as as his teammate if he's just going to stand along the baseline the whole time now he did have the 13 assists but most of that was just starting the offense quote-unquote starting the offense with like a handoff to curry who would then go into a a pick and roll or a handoff with Embiid, and then kind of getting out of the way or doing a you know he's decent in transition but him actually attacking to try and put the basketball in the basket the point of basketball was so few and far between and then every once in a while we do it but like his teammates aren't prepared for him to do that like you got to have an understanding kind of of what your teammates normally do in a situation so when he did attack you know it didn't really look very good or john collins picked up a couple couple of really nice charges one on Embiid and one on him in transition both those were good calls and he just doesn't do anything and this is now uh, 
basically every time he's played in the playoffs against even a remotely prepared opponent he has just struggled i think he's got one 20 point game in his entire playoff career and you know if he if ben simmons could be in the playoffs the guy that he is in the regular season offensively this might be tenable it might be tenable right but he just loses all aggressiveness and as much as i you know we're a little critical of him beat early and i think probably the biggest factor in that might have been the health but you know you never know how much of that is really affecting him and I think, and I think we'll have an interesting indication on whether Embiid has surgery after the season or not to know like how bad this actually was. But we haven't ever seen Joel Embiid with like actual real NBA spacing around him. And I think it's probably going to be incumbent on Daryl Morey to make that happen this offseason because ben, you cannot win a playoff series against a real opponent. And again, like the Hawks are a nice four seed, sure. And Trey Young was pretty good and he had some decent guys. Like they have no wing defense on this team. I, at all. I, I, will, I will note that the Hawks were the five seed. Oh, yeah, sorry. So they tied. They're, they're tied with the Knicks, I think. But uh, they had no wing defense on this team at all. And pretty limited perimeter defense in general i mean you know playing Danilo gallinari at the three and john collins at the four collins was solid but to not be able to take advantage of that and the reason they couldn't take advantage of that is because you have a guy your ostensible point guard is just not able to attack in any way and then not only is he not attacking but he's standing right under the basket and just allowing making life so much harder for everyone else and i don't care who you are as a perimeter defender now if you could tell me that ben simmons could play like draymond green and be a great perimeter defender and also be a great help guy and you could play some small ball units with him at the five and those units would do really well defensively because he's out there you switch everything if he's going to play like Draymond Green defensively in the playoffs and then be this offensive player okay maybe that's tenable but he's not making that much of a difference defensively to overcome his offense like you just he doesn't do it and so I think at this point he's kind of a negative player in the playoffs and maybe if you have a shooting center that could change but under most circumstances he's a negative player in the playoffs with the sum total of his offensive and defensive contributions and of course the hacka as well you know that takes him out of a fast break at the end an intentional foul that they, they could add two points um and so i think they they have to move him and you could say hey this is the nadir of his value maybe i'm have not more sure value. that yeah no i'm not sure that either maybe they'll have more value at the trade deadline next season if he goes through and has like a good regular season again but he's not being better in the playoffs next year i think i think it's, he's reached the point now there's been so much of a lack of improvement at this point and he's so far in his own head with the jump shooting and the scoring and the missing of free throws that i think i think the risk of his trade value going down is at least as high if not higher than the chance of it going up especially because it simmons could he could be better than he was in this regular season but i don't know I, it's hard for me to imagine unless there's some sort of fundamental change in his game what he could do that makes you think about it totally differently it can be a reminder like the sour taste of the of your in your mouth is out but not like a, a transformation. It's hard, you know, it's hard for me with when you think about what Simmons has done and what he hasn't done, that it, it's possible. And I'm always excited when players defy my expectations. But for me, actually, the bigger part of this story and why I think the Sixers should make the same move is actually not Ben Simmons. It's Joel Embiid because sure. Joel Embiid is now great enough. You know, he was my per minute MVP in the regular season. Now he didn't play enough to do it and he won't run the risk of that. That 
you need to go for it. And that I, I don't think Embiid was that player before this year, and he had the potential to be, but he was wonderful on defense. And sure, there are those limitations in the playoffs, and his offensive foibles will be there. I, I think that the turnovers to some extent and you know some of his decision making will will be but when you have better spacing and you pair him with somebody who can do those actions and find him like you think about and I'm not saying Chris Paul is a perfect player but you think about like what Chris Paul could do for this for the Sixers team and putting Embiid in places to succeed and everything else and what what Paul did for DeAndre Ayton and Embiid is a way more talented player than DeAndre Ayton is and so I don't know how Philadelphia gets that player I don't know you know and that's the challenge of of a Ben Simmons negotiation and we'll probably talk more about that in the in our offseason preview which honestly I feel like I could do right now I'm so amped about what it could be but Embiid is now at the point where he is good enough that you have to think about it and there is plenty of blame to go around in terms of how the rest of this team is going to fare and so if you like traded Ben Simmons for nothing Tobias Harris isn't good enough to take up the mantle Seth Curry can do some of it and you know we could do with cork boss but if it's not simmons it's it has it, like it has to be someone and simmons you know 24 years old talented guy and you know is is good enough that you and i wouldn't be the general managers that would trade for him and give up the haul that i think daryl Morey would want for him and maybe that full haul won't exist yeah but- i mean that's what might prevent it is just that there's just he's got so much stature that is frankly undeserved that they just won't be able to trade him for what the realistic return is going to be that they just won't be able to swallow their pride enough to do that yeah and maybe they can in january february that's that's entirely a possibility but i am going to be disappointed if philadelphia starts the 2022 playoffs with ben simmons on their roster yeah and it's not a panacea obviously no it's not to move on from him you know and maybe you say this like tobias harris will have a little more space to work with i mean i still don't think tobias harris is like your second best player but you know i think you got to try to build more of a utah jazz style ensemble cast around joel Embiid, and you know your defense will probably suffer as well although statistically not as much with simmons i mean you you probably you can run into some of the same problems defensively that the jazz have if you tilt a little bit too much shooting and offense based now if you get but let's say they're able to sign and trade for Kyle Lowry and then they move Simmons for just for some more just like good players or shooters or they could move Simmons for CJ McCollum like CJ McCollum Kyle Lowry Tobias Harris Joel Embiid that's like that's you know that you don't have a second superstar but that might be enough to get it done next year and Joel Embiid we talked about is kind of a ticking time bomb here this meniscus tear showed it again like I think that's your best chance there's no there just isn't a realistic path at this point to getting another superstar on this team so I I mean as much as I enjoy the Hawks story and I've been really rooting for Trey Young because I think he's been a really underrated player and the patent absurdity of him not making the all-star team this year really galled me however I don't think this we'll do the full preview I don't think this uh East final is going to be particularly close. We'll see. You know, the, the Bucks could crap all over themselves offensively again, and maybe it will be close. But just there's not there's not much talent left, right? Like, I mean, all the best players in the league are, like, out now, right? I mean, the, you all the guys that we had, of the guys that we had as top five players in the NBA, I mean, who's the best player left right now? Giannis? Yeah, I had Giannis. So, so if we're going with our top 10 players, which is a combination of regular season playoffs, but if we're going with that, Giannis was my number five, and I think he might have been lower for you. Yeah, I think I had him six. But he's he's there. No one else, because Kawhi is hurt, his team is still alive. Right. No one else in the top 10 is there. And then my kind of half-step group was Harden, George, and Butler. George is the only one in that group. 
yeah i think i had george 12 and butler 13 so yeah i mean that's and now trey devin booker it'll be interesting too because there's going to be a clamor for guys like trey and devin booker to be a lot higher based on these playoffs and you know i'm just i'm not sure i'll be able to go there honestly because they haven't played like real teams you know i I mean philly i guess like they're they're a pretty good defensive team like trey trey's a good offensive player but also that's philly is a conventional drop back pick and roll team i guess the bucks kind of are too but i think the bucks defense overall is is better than philly's i'm very interested to see how trey's gonna gonna play against the bucks but it's just it's kind of this is like one of those ncaa tournaments where it's been incredibly exciting throughout and there's been all these upsets and like drama filled games and then you turn around and look at the conference finals and you're like oh wait a minute like there's, well, there's nobody it, left it's sort of the the analogous thing to an upset heavy round in the ncaa tournament just often leads to worse games in the next round you get that excitement and you get the cinderellas and all that but then you remember that it was an upset for a reason and this year is different because of injuries and so you have like the clippers and suns facing off could be very different if they're if, if everybody's best players were available unfortunately that is not the case and it's yeah, I mean, it, it is going to be a, a different year. And it's, in some ways, you know, like it's it's more, in terms of the players who are available and everything else, in some ways it's more anomalous than the bubble. Now, the bubble had its own idiosyncrasies, including no home court advantage and players shooting in the same arenas. And there were elements of that that were not predictive, but there are elements of this that sure as hell aren't predictive either. Yeah, and honestly, yeah, Miami was in the conference finals and they had some guys playing above their normal level. But just watching these games so far, maybe my opinion will change although none of these teams to me there are no great teams left in these playoffs and there were no great teams in this crazy anomalous regular season either but now with the injuries and some of the upsets like there are no teams i think that if you look at it this team whoever wins the nba championship this year will be the worst champion in i don't know how long you mean the least talented yeah just as like if you're gonna put those this team up against some of the previous champions over the last few years and the last 10 years you know the mavs kind of wanted an upset too but they earned i mean they really went through a, a gauntlet in terms of the quality of teams that they beat and so and maybe you'll have those teams come out the next season and like run through the league and then you'll be like okay you know or maybe those teams like this if it's the suns or the bucks who i expect to be the the conference final the uh, nba finals if they come out and they have a great playoff run again next year then maybe i would feel differently about it in retrospect but i mean they still like neither of those teams has beaten anybody right now and they're not going to beat anybody in the conference finals either so anyway i'm a little depressed about that aspect of it but probably a subject for another time to put all this in a historic context i'm glad that we have nba basketball i'm glad that we made it through this pandemic now that everyone's vaccinated and the arenas are full again it's easy to lose sight of what an accomplishment that was i do think that they played too many games and that's part of why we're dealing with this but i'm also happy that the nba is going to continue as a going concern and that you and i can continue to make money doing what we love so i'm not going to complain too much here but it's also well, this is it's it's not historically i think we're gonna look back on this season well, as kind of yeah and so i'll 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 end it when it's kind of a more optimistic note by pushing back on some of the pessimism that's happened like i mean it's a milwaukee atlanta conference finals and those aren't major markets but and you know there yeah, aren't i don't those care necessarily about the markets stars. No, I don't care about it either. But also, Trey Young is a damn star. If you can't yeah. make if you can't make people care about Trey Young when you consider like the performance that he had against the Knicks and in many of the games in this series and his 
personality, yeah, the foul drawing isn't great, but that's not a huge deal. Giannis is the two-time MVP. He's a physical marvel. The Suns, Devin Booker, has been incredible at key moments in these playoffs. Chris Paul is Chris Paul. You have an established commodity there. And the Clippers, I mean, it's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah Kawhi Leonard being out is, is unfortunate. But this, I hope that this is a reminder that the way stars are made is by having big performances. And that's how you make new stars. It's not necessarily about having the same people be there again. No, I agree. It's more to me that I'm not sure that I would, even if they win the championship and continue to play the same way that they have. Now, Trey, if he does it against the Bucs and they beat the Bucs, then obviously I'll feel I'll feel different at that point. But I, I don't expect that to happen. But if things just kind of play out the way I think they are the rest of these playoffs, like it's actually not going to change my opinion of the players involved that significantly. And I'm sure that's probably going to piss people off. But it's just, uh, that's it, I guess. I mean, you have to remember the context. Just simply, even in this crazy season where we had five of the top 10 players get injured in the first two rounds of the playoffs it's just uh i can't say that like this this championship is going to mean that much to me compared to others <laughs> can, but can i end this section with a quote uh you can end the podcast with a quote if you want so from mr joel Embiid, i'll be honest i thought the turning point was when we i don't know how to say it is when we had an open shot and we made one free throw <laughs> yeah good way to end it if you want to get by the way all of our podcasts right after the games we're also getting into draft coverage probably this week i would imagine we're doing off-season outlooks for every team this i think this off-season at least got a lot more interesting even if the playoffs aren't that interesting with the the way things have happened here and particularly with that joel and quote uh, for that matter uh, all that you can sign up for dunked on prime if you are in uh, a situation where that price is charged a little steep for you, you can email dunkedonprime at gmail.com. Tell us uh, about your situation and uh, we'll hook you up with the special student slash circumstances pricing. But this is the best time to be on going into the off season. They actually have a bunch of new people signing up, really enjoying it. So we encourage you to do the same. And for those of you on the free feed, we'll talk to you all next week. All right, Western Conference Finals has happened about 36 hours after the Clippers had that uh, emotional win. And for three quarters, it looked like the Clippers might be able to stay in it. They were doing it with awesome three-point shooting. They finished up 20 out of 47. Paul George uh, was fantastic. But in the end, the Clippers did not have enough juice. And what are your biggest takeaways from this one? It is frequent in a game seven to see coaches have to recalibrate and figure out what players, what matchups, what schemes work and do not work. And so it was fun to watch some of the adjustments and machinations and there's always stuff that surprises us and like that you, you and these two teams in particular had to do more of that because they each have a key player out with an injury that occurred fairly recently and so haven't gotten to nuclear room Cameron Payne starting this game in Chris Paul's stead and the Clippers unfortunately not only having to deal with Kawhi but also having to deal with Marcus Morris and while this was a wonderful delightful game that is an important part of this that we'll get to later yeah it just seemed to me like Devin Booker was unbelievable oh uh, that that amazing. was amazing I mean, that, that probably should be your number one takeaway. I mean, just for the average person, obviously. I mean, I mean for us, you know, I kind of, this performance from him, frankly, doesn't surprise me. I mean, he had that ridiculous game against the Lakers as well, but given the way that the Clippers had to defend him and the personnel they just didn't have the answers for him at this point 40 points 15 of 29 
three of seven from three he scored 16 straight points at one point in the third quarter just and he did it without even getting to the basket it was all mid-rangers but really just like walk into a mid-rangers also had his first career triple double had 11 assists and he did that playing a little different role than he normally does because with chris paul uh was not uh, was ruled out yesterday so i would assume that meant that he had a positive test still yesterday and campaign partially due to foul trouble only played 29 minutes so devin booker is out there for 19 minutes as the only real threat ball handling guard that they had they put in Etwan Moore as the guy who entered the rotation I thought Moore really struggled but they close it out with Booker and then Cam Johnson in Chris Paul's stead with their normal starting group which is excellent shooting excellent size and I think that was important down the end but also he's the only one in that in that group who can dribble and right. but but unfortunately you know you would have thought oh the Clippers maybe they'll go to some of those random doubles and stuff and you know the Suns are still a great passing team uh, and they have great shooting and you know that may not have been a panacea but also the the Clippers defensive versatility I mean they played a traditional center for basically the whole second half and then because of the Marcus Morris injury only played 21 minutes they went with Rondo on their small unit and Rondo was terrible and so they just this is the Clippers chance in this series was they're going to make like difficult on DeAndre Ayton and they did that to some degree they're going to play small most of the game they're going to not have to play Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins and both the Morris injury and then just not being able to play guys 43 minutes a game their main guys and also not going up against another team that was equally as tired as they were and equally as injured as they were frankly uh you know it it ended up being a little bit closer at the end but it was a 10 point game and the, the Clippers went on a crazy run right at the end to get it to two but they never actually had a chance to tie so I it really you know going Suns and six I thought that the Clippers if everyone were healthy with both Paul out and Leonard out that the Clippers could be the equal of the Suns but with Morris hurt that's just not gonna be the case anymore let's talk a little bit more about Devin Booker and I think in particular you brought up his third quarter I think his second half more broadly and Booker was just crushing drop coverage which the Clippers had to run more often because of the personnel that they had on the floor and Booker in the second half alone 29 points 10 of 19 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, an important 7 of 7 from the line, 8 of his 11 assists, 7 of his 13 rebounds. And as you said, he was the he was the lead initiator and the it created all of these different challenges for the Clippers because Booker so okay, you want to run if you want to run a drop coverage against him, Booker is just going to absolutely drill those shots. In the second half alone, Booker was five of nine five of nine from mid-range. A lot of those were basically it's kind of like pick your distance shot shooting where he could just kind of say, Okay, do I want a twenty footer? Do I want a fifteen footer? Yeah. You know, but, kind of pick- and I think the ones that he was hitting, I think it was different where where the ones he was hitting like he kind of dribbled the air out of the ball late you know on some late possession took some really difficult ones the ones he was hitting that's batting practice yeah he's just wa- he's walking walking into it and phoenix did something that we've seen more commonly i mean granted portland's been doing it for years but like setting the screens a little bit higher so that that means he could get he could get a, even more kind of space and more movement and then when they brought extras whether that was in a drop coverage or in something else booker much like paul george on the other side did a great job making the right decision passing the ball to a to a teammate and as you brought up with phoenix's spacing they had a lot of good shooters so in that in that second 
half, Phoenix was 8 of 18 from 3. And so, incidentally, actually, the team shot, I believe, identical percentages from 3. It's just that the Clippers shot more of them. But they were getting really good looks overall. And so Bridges hit a couple. Crowder hit a couple. Cam Johnson had had some good ones that didn't fall. And that part of it... And, and so I was like, you know, like, how long are they going to do this? But it wasn't like the Clippers had a ton of other things. They did some doubles. They did everything else because they don't... I, it, as long as Morris is limited, they don't have the personnel to switch. And also Booker was doing a nice job on a lot of those switches too. Yeah, I think so. But at least, you know, if you're switching, you can go to the switch double. You can bring help. You can get guys into the gaps and try to make make some plays a little bit. Or at least you're just, there. you're making Booker shoot a shot that's not just take two dribbles and pull up with a guy way shorter than me who's theoretically contesting, but like Devin Booker, Booker doesn't even see that guy, you know, and and he's and also you know you're not letting him get right to the foul line either, right? Like maybe it's a an 18 footer with a little bit of a step back, which obviously he's quite capable of hitting. Devin Booker's a wonderful scorer, but the difference between that shot as a mid ranger and we set the screen way up top, you're just going to get right to the elbow. Patrick Beverly or Terrence Mann are just too short, and Devin Booker just knows. All right, if I just take two drills and jump as high as I can and shoot this, it's. I mean, that's a shot that if there's no one on the floor and he's shooting it that's he makes that shot 85 percent of the time you know or 90 percent of the time in warmups. and this was basically just a warm-up style of shot for him and this gets back to again just the, the principles of modern nba defense in the playoffs where if you're in a drop coverage you don't have a center who can switch and uh Vicha zubats and demarcus cousins do not qualify you just see the same thing as you saw in that denver series this time it was devin booker it was chris paul before but people are like oh yeah well but you're it's not Jokic's fault in the denver series right it's you know it's the fact that they have capazzo and austin rivers well okay this is pat beverly and terrence man right like you just can't get over screens like that at the at the nba level and they're you know van gundy said oh well why is beverly picking up so high maybe he should he should go under a little bit but once you've gone under and you're separated from the guy's body like again like booker and eight and like the sun's pick and roll game is one of the best that we've seen in the nba in a long time and so once you get separated from the guy's body which i mean you're it's probably going to happen regardless frankly but if you go under then they can just rescreen and booker can just work right in uh, again maybe he doesn't get quite that same running start you know he's kind of going a little more east west so maybe that helps a little bit and zubats can get a little bit more involved in it or cousins uh rather than just worrying about like okay he's gonna he's going so fast to me i gotta stay back here he's gonna blow by for the layup so maybe you try that but i don't think that's any kind of a panacea for the issues that that they were having and so you're just like yeah you're not gonna stop this phoenix suns team with conventional pick and roll defense you know you're just not like even rudy gobert who's the best pick and roll big defender in the nba was probably gonna have some difficulty with that and the clippers don't have that guy so and, and so that gets back to the morris thing like morris in the first half he started and i noted on twitter like man he's really getting blown by here at the end of the second quarter like campaign dusted him a couple times he involved in a couple of miscommunications and you could tell he did not he was he wasn't playing well i thought hey maybe it was a question of fatigue um and also you know he didn't play that much towards the end of the jazz series either like i don't think he was out there at the very end either so but now like without him their entire 
starting front court from the beginning of the season is now out Ibaka Leonard and Marcus Morris are all out and they just don't have the personnel to go small I mean it's PG at the four Batum at the five I mean those guys are doing everything they possibly can and then you've got three guards around them and one of them is Rondo who was so bad defensively in this game though um, I I'm I, I would you make an argument that he also wasn't the worst Clippers guard defensively in this game because I would who do you who would you say oh Luke Kennard, Kennard. yeah 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 Kennard gave up like two immediate back cuts to Cam Johnson I mean that that hurts too right you I mean because Kennard not like Rondo still has the reputation even if he isn't very good defensively I still will never understand what the hell happened to him in the bubble last year that was just such an outlier uh but yeah I don't I don't really so now if they can't go five out they can't win this series like it's just not going to happen you know I mean I think they they did some things in the first half we'll talk a little bit about the game that DeAndre Ayton had in a second here you know where you felt like okay the system advantage is working like they have some advantages here you know if they're if they're both teams are playing a traditional center even with Paul out and and you know I'm sure we'll see more doubling of Booker and stuff like that too in the next game and I'm not saying they can't win games in this series or be competitive in this series with Morris out or limited and Paul out also with Paul if Paul's available they're just going to get completely steamrolled without Morris but it's uh, clearly Phoenix has a massive massive advantage just with the they just have way more athleticism way better wings and you know also Aiton provides an element that you know we'll see whether that would become a net positive or a net negative but it's definitely a net positive if the Clippers have a traditional center out there on the floor which they are going to have to do at this point they've run out of the small guys at this point yeah and not they've run out of the kind of versatile perimeter players like that that's what because when you you can't maintain the integrity of the system if you have all these other sores that you can pick out whether they can't maintain contact with their guy out ball like some of the card stuff or they can't defend oddball like like rondo in this game and that forces the clippers to try other things and that included one of the experiments that actually in the early stages of it worked phenomenally and that was demarcus cousins having this absolutely incredible stretch shortly after basically when he entered the game well yeah he played two good minutes and 11 bad ones you know he had but those, those two good ones points. holy crap <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he hit, he hit a three got like a couple of post-ups on on Sharich, which caused problems got that he, dunk. He had, yeah yeah it, yeah he also he dunked on pretty but that was probably one of the one of the few good plays that rondo made it in the game before the very end that crazy scramble where he had a, a couple offensive rebounds or actually just one but yeah it was and the unfortunate part then of course and, and you know actually in the in the utah series game one too he had like a brief period where it looked like he was going to be doing stuff but then that it completely fell off and then also play, having him out there at the same time as canard as well i mean that just completely supercharged the offense for both teams i mean luke was two of three six points hit a couple of difficult threes but just got completely lit up defensively and not like you, you would like for luke canard to be able to guard cam johnson right and he's just like giving up the easiest back cuts in the world to this guy which is and some good action again i mean the phoenix suns 31 assists on 49 field goals i mean they are a really really good offense and monty williams is you know deserves to be in the discussion among the top coaches in the nba i would say uh, after these playoffs for the system that, that he's implemented there and for how ends. for how many wrinkles they have for i mean it, it's been yeah. it's been awesome to watch this team team play so far but we, we've talked about some of the shortcomings for the clippers i want to talk about some of the praiseworthy things and and as, sure. as great as paul george played i want to start with reggie jackson i thought that yeah he you know reggie jackson 
facing a different opponent, facing a team that has, you know, they don't have the same level of perimeter defense with Chris Paul out, but still has a lot of capable players, has help. And Jackson, the tricks of the trade for him, knowing, kind of knowing when to attack, not making as many mistakes, did have five turnovers in this game, but, you know, overall, you know, t- making better decisions, shoot it, when to shoot, when to pass, when to drive, made a huge difference. No, I think that's right. And at the very beginning, you're like, okay, this is not Donovan Mitchell and Boyan Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson that he's going against. Like the Suns have real perimeter defenders. And so Reggie was able to find a way to work there and did it more of it inside the arc yeah, as well with penetration, uh, particularly in the second half. He's four of 12 from three. So he didn't quite have the crazy magic, though he hit a couple of really difficult ones as well. So yeah, he was solid, but also I think another guy who just kind of ran out of gas at the end. I mean, there was one play where he drove into three guys and just threw a pass that had like absolutely nothing on it. And it got intercepted by Booker that led to that alley-oop that put the Suns up 10 and basically would have ended the game uh, if the Clippers hadn't gotten 97 offensive rebounds in a row in the last minute. Uh, So yeah, it was clear that the Suns had more energy at the end. Paul George, another guy who was awesome, awesome through three quarters and then really just did not have it in the fourth yeah, now george, it does i mean yeah. george missed all five of his shots in the fourth quarter it, it there were times when it looked a little bit similar to kevin durant losing losing his legs in the overtime of game seven on saturday but i mean george i thought he had a, a, a really strong performance overall you know the same balance of creation and trying to do stuff you know there were a few possessions where you're like oh why why are you trying to trying to score in the in the paint on deandre Ayton and a couple things like that but generally i thought he did it did a nice job kind of picking his spots. Yeah. And as I said before, with Devin Booker, making when when they sent extra attention, making the pass to an open teammate to get a good shot. Yeah, and George was seven out of 15 from three and really got going in the third, basically three straight plays in pick and roll when Aiton was in a drop coverage, just walking into a three, had a beautiful step back to his right over Booker uh, near the right corner as well. And so th- that was the point at which you you started thinking with the DeAndre Ayton, like, okay, you know, me- they're making life a little difficult on, on him here. And that was even with the traditional center out there, just in a normal pick and roll. And um, we talked about it, obviously, in the preview before this, but Ayton was rightfully been lauded for having a really nice series defensively. But his main challenge in those series was stopping his man one-on-one in the post and i thought you know ad i think found something against him more in the second the, the second and third game when he had 30 points in both those games and and got to the foul line a lot but then he went down and Aiton was solid there but and then the nuggets one-on-one against Jokic, he's one of the better guys in the league that you would want there so those challenges that he met were different challenges than what the clippers in theory were going to provide and still provide to some degree even when they have a traditional center on the floor with the, their shooting and spread pick and roll game although they don't have you know really just like a great pick and roll operator necessarily i would actually consider doing more of reggie jackson in pick and roll in the second game if i'm the clippers if they if they have to go more with the traditional center let him handle i mean he's he's has been an accomplished pick and roll player at times in his career and he looks uh, very spry and athletic at the moment so i would and he's been finishing well so I, I would give him a shot at that you know more than just some of the iso more two guard stuff that he's been doing but back to Aiton, he struggled i thought defensively in this game and whether it was George just pulling up on the pick and roll, whether it was just not getting over quickly enough and help defense. At one time, Devin Booker early in the game had to talk to him 
about that. Reggie Jackson in the first half has a, a, a drive blow by on each one more where you know DeAndre Ayton doesn't even start moving until Jackson is already at the foul line. Now the Suns, I liked their strategy. It, well, it has good and bad points, but I think mostly good of essentially they wanted to make sure that Ayton was always guarding the low man. Yeah, it kind of looked like a zone at times, like a just like a two-man zone. Yeah, and a lot of teams will do that, like the Warriors would do that with Draymond Green, where, uh, you know, Aiton will start off guarding, you know, whoever it is, but then he would, you know, if Reggie Jackson was in the corner, they would just say, Aiton, you stand up on the on the block, and like, you know, modern NBA offenses, they're always going to have the corner filled, so you're always going to have somebody there, and they just wanted Aiton to be able to come over and be in position, but I didn't think he really made a lot of great plays at the rim defensively and wasn't amazing in pick and roll defense either um but the big difference for the clippers in this series is if you're gonna try and switch or if you're gonna play conventional pick and roll defense for that matter like deandre ayton is not rudy gobert like rudy gobert might be just a slightly better like alley-oop catcher due to his superior standing reach but ayton is a guy who you can throw him the ball and if he gets the ball in the paint anywhere near the charge circle it's just a bucket when he catches it right like he's not going to get stripped he's not going to get pushed off his spot he's not going to miss a layup you know he's going to shoot 80 percent in the restricted area which is what he's doing and if you look at the shot chart from this game deandre ayton eight of nine at the rim two of three in the paint non-restricted suns overall eight of or uh, 19 of 22 at the rim and eight of 16 paint non-restricted so he's driving a big part of that and he's also a little bit more mobile than gobert as well he can come in dunk hard off of one foot uh he knows how to find space in the zone so that's really or off of drives so he is definitely a very solid offensive center as long as he's not creating for himself his two post-ups didn't really go too well you know they just resulted in fadeaway jumpers immediately over smaller players which it always seems to which is i mean that is disappointing because given his touch like he should be able to just back those guys down and make things difficult for the opposition that way too but he's just not at that point in his career yet and maybe he won't ever get there because he just doesn't seem to have a great feel for it but he really made a difference offensively for the suns and the clippers you know i thought when zubats was in there it looked better for the clippers but Aiton going up against cousins is just oh. complete destruction well and that led to that that was one of the bigger tactical mistakes that Ty Lue made and it's I it's probably unfair that I attribute it to Nate McMillan as much as I do but he's just the guy that always lingers in my head of backup plays well against backups let's leave him in against the starters and backup gets annihilated by starters and that's what happened here like Cousins had some good minutes in the when Sharks was out there and then they just started running running pick and roll with with Aiton and so bringing Cousins into play and just raining hellfire on and that's part of why Cousins the Clippers were outscored by 11 points overall in his minute yeah exactly and you know he's just an absolute foul machine five fouls in 12 minutes at one point so that and just bad fouls you know way out on the floor now obviously the Clippers were struggling with Devin Booker in pick and roll in the third particularly and they were all it was hilarious to me they're like they're struggling with Zubats out there and then they put Cousins in I'm like oh yeah yeah DeMarcus Cousins that's gonna solve you your, your pick and roll defense um so then they actually they tried to just start doubling Booker and you know the Suns are a great passing team again they have a lot of shooting and so they immediately got an open corner three out of that I think it was for Craig uh they did finally and then they also put in Sharich which I thought was a pretty decent move. I mean, they probably would have done it at that point anyway. But when they're double teaming on the pick and roll to then go with Sharich and a guy who can make plays off the dribble, a great passer for his position, he was setting up some threes as well. So then they made the adjustment to instead 
switch up and put Cousins on Craig, which is something that I suggested they do on Twitter as well, to say, all right, Troy Craig, you've got to now be the one to make the decision to pick and roll. I thought things looked a little bit better after that, and also Booker played the entire second half, so he kind of, you know, I think he wore down slightly at that point. The other thing I would consider, too, when Aiton is off the floor is just you don't have to, you know, there are gradations in between drop coverage and just completely blitz the ball in the pick and roll, get it out of his hands. And so I think when you've got Sharich or you've got someone like Craig being the role man who are not great finishers, I think you can still react to Booker a little bit more just to not give him the mid-ranger and then you know try to just influence him enough so that you can get back to the guy who's on ball bothering his shot and then retreat back to the man if they throw it to the roll man you know that's kind of not the end of the world uh because Sharich is not going to just it's not an automatic bucket if Sharich gets it uh, at the and, and you can, line and you can also think. you can recover and negate the advantage with Sharich in a way that you cannot with eight right yeah he's not going to just go right in and dunk it or you know he's going to kind of bring it down to try and jump and you can get some strips and stuff so that's i, I think we've seen it, that he has some limitations as a, a pick and roll finisher so that would that would try to be my approach again if they're stuck with this i, I also think that if morris is limited again in game two that tyloo will have a few better lineups to throw out there that make a little bit more sense if he can prepare as opposed to just having to deal with it on the fly that morris couldn't play it really did screw the clippers over that this game was so quick and i assume the reason for that obviously was for tv purposes abc slash espn have the west finals and they weren't going to just not give abc a game like i'm sure the tv contract was or the the, at least what espn slash abc wanted was you need to give us some game it could have been game seven jazz clippers but you need to give us some game for abc in the afternoon slot and so because espn has the west finals it had to be this game they couldn't delay it any further now i think i don't understand why they're not like working in more breaks over the course of the schedule like aren't they just like every other day the whole way that is the single strangest thing about the series so it started a little earlier because both teams handled their business but instead of you know getting extra days but i think part of that is the alternation because basically it's west than east so instead it's every other day until a theoretical game seven on friday july 2nd not over the over that weekend and that also means that whichever team wins the western conference is going to have a is going to have a long gap basically minimum of a week because the nba finals we already know the dates there the nba finals aren't starting until thursday july 8th so they unless it's a game seven they're getting at least a week and if it's a game seven then you get six days and you you know what it is is, i'm glad you mentioned the calendar date because they don't want to go up against the nathan's hot dog eating contest uh, on july 4th no seriously though like they they just don't want it to be on july 4th you saw how they avoided they avoided on memorial day as well having like any good games that day so it seems like they just don't want it to be on the holiday they just want it all to be over before that right and they and they and they did probably want to move it to the fifth because a that might have messed up the the alternating and you know some of the gap stuff and because remember if the if you have two series that are alternating then if you try to extend out one of them then you're creating conflicts and everything would have gotten convoluted so 
yeah, that is a real challenge, and the Clippers got the brunt of that. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. I, I, we talked about Reggie Jackson's game, but one of the I, I I brought up earlier that you know the guys that work and don't work in the series. Reggie Jackson just eviscerated Etwan Moore in the limited amount of time Etwan Moore played in this game. Oh yeah, I think I can't remember who else just totally blew by him as well. But it was yeah, he could not stay in front of his man at all, and I think that was. And I will laud Ty Lu for giving his players the freedom to just say, "Hey, if you can take your man, just do it." Like that's that's the best basketball there is. Is just blow by your the guy who's guarding you who can't guard you. Um, and particularly because they have the spacing that they do and they play in transition relatively well. But yeah, so more would not be it. Who would you replace him with? I mean, I guess you dust off Langston Galloway. I mean, that's well. They could also go uh, John Carter. Yeah, sure, you could try that. I mean, or, I would. Or, I would give- yeah. Or maybe Cam Johnson more at the two. Yeah, or and maybe you could. But Tory Craig's typically already out there in those lineups. So you can't like play extra Tory Craig and stuff. Yeah, you know, no, I mean they they could play extra Tory Craig probably too. I mean they, they might. You'd have to you'd have to restructure the rotation, the the timing a little bit, but you could do that. Yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, more gives you like a little more ball handling, but so so does Carter. I mean, this I don't know if Devin Booker playing forty five minutes a game and also being the only guard on the floor for as long as he is. I mean, we'll see what Paul's stat is for game two obviously but that I, I don't know he could wear down if he also has to be the guy bringing the ball up i thought they did a nice job of just having some of these other guys bring it up like crowder or whatever um even though he's not really a guard like you know he's capable of dribbling if you're not going to pressure him certainly and i don't think the clippers uh, are necessarily going to do that uh, any other points that you wanted to make here yeah one one brief one i mean over the last two series and, and you could also bring up the 2016 finals and a couple other ones. Ty Lue has done a nice job of taking the first couple games, seeing some things and making real adjustments. Now, in certain cases, you and I have argued that he's done it way too late. But in general, he, you know, his teams have played much better towards the close of series than, than the open, even sometimes when they've had inferior personnel. And that is going to be different in this series. Like, first of all, if that dynamic holds, that's actually a big problem for the Clippers because they need to win these games when Chris Paul is unavailable. But also, the adjustments and tactics are going to completely change when you had Chris Paul because Chris Paul is an unbelievable player and the structural defensive integrity for the Suns is going to be different the entire format of their attack is going to be different and so I wonder what lessons like we don't know when Chris Paul is going to be available when Chris Paul is going to look like himself but let's say for the sake of the thought experiment that that's game four it's going to take you know then you're going to have to basically readjust as as much of an established commodity as Chris Paul is at this point yeah I said like game two is an absolute must win for the Clippers I've said in the first two series when the Clippers were the more talented team I felt like going down 0-2 didn't completely sink them I said I thought against the Jazz maybe it did but I still said hey you got a 20% chance of winning the series it's much better than I would have given a team that uh was a lot worse than the Clippers you know usually it's 94% if you lose the first two games on the road but they are not the better team and they are not I think they are less talented even uh uh, than the Suns are and that's before Chris Paul is going to come back and I don't expect to see Kawhi Leonard even though it, there's it seemed this whole thing is starting to seem very weird for me with Leonard and just all right he's not traveling with the team he's working on rehab at home they fear it's an ACL injury they haven't actually even said what he's missing games with have they I don't think there's actually even been like an official I think they're just calling it a mild knee sprain or something and you know with him potentially being a free agent as well and just being like extremely quiet remember obviously there was the same thing when he had the long-term injury with the Spurs although that was the added element of him maybe wanting to get out of town which I don't think he feels that way at the Clippers but 
you know, is he, are they just doing this for gamesmanship? Like make them think that he might play. I, I, I don't know. It, it does. And maybe I'll be wrong and maybe he'll come back, but it seems like this is all going to be like, nope, he's just going to have surgery. <laughs> and then, and then they'll release a, a, a press release about it. Like three, three months later, like the Spurs did with, with LaMarcus. Um, couple other small notes here. I, I've kind of liked the way that Reggie Jackson approaches guys closing out on him because i think he kind of understands intuitively the biomechanics of like what it's kind of like closing out because they tell you okay you'll get over there and a lot of times if the guy's shooting it right away you'll accelerate towards him and you'll jump and you'll try to get a contest or they'll say hey if he's not shooting it you got it you kind of you break down right i think that's what they call it and you know you kind of get ready to get into a stance to guard and so reggie jackson as the closeout comes he won't shoot it right away as the guy's like sprinting at him so he can fly at him for the contest he'll sort of wait for the guy to like break down into his stance because if you you can't just like jump straight up out of a defensive stance you got to kind of like get your feet together so we'll wait for the guy's momentum to completely slow get his butt down and then he'll just shoot right over the guy once he's just like too low to actually get the contest so that's just like a nice little wrinkle there i thought terrence mann uh was a real big example of the lack of energy that the clippers had you know he was not running the floor he was not getting little offensive rebounds uh even when he was guarding Gavin booker even you know after like the quarter break i saw it i want to say it was like right at the start of the fourth it, it was maybe it wasn't them but it was a time when, right when he had just gotten a pretty substantial break for a timeout or something and comes back and he just couldn't even like sprint the floor to keep up with Devin booker for example so he's a guy who's got to be one of their most athletic guys one of their biggest energy guys and i thought he was just totally out of gas and he doesn't have the experience of playing you know 40 minutes a game in the nba playoffs over a long period the way a guy like paul george does in terms of knowing how to pace himself and frankly even you know even though he's a young guy being in that type of condition um so that that'll be something to watch whether he has the same energy and any thoughts on just what the clip should do in terms of rotations in the next game i mean can they get away with just not playing Cous- i mean i'd love for them to not play cousins and rondo at all but then you i don't think play they have Kennard. the horses for it yeah yeah I, I, I don't it's it's just they're they're out of bodies at this point i mean they're they're and hopefully morris can play more minutes it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case though but yeah i mean it's definitely looking like big time advantage Suns, and we'll see i mean there are gonna be two games in this series before we even have a single game in the east finals all right danny we have a trade to announce we do and it is it is a significant one. I mean, this is, as a, a few people brought up, this is a very unusual time for a trade, much less a significant one, because we're before the combine when a lot of the front office people can talk to each other and before you kind of know what's out there. But in some ways that also, this makes sense for that purpose because it kind of exists outside of it because of how big the salaries are that are involved. Yeah, it does. And then also there is a a reason why this had to happen this league year. It could have happened next league year as well but it was easier to fit within the salary cap this league year and it also prevented Kemba Walker from getting his trade bonus he only has nine years of experience right now and his trade bonus is would take his salary above the max for seven to nine years of experience if you go into next year he's got 10 years of experience and the trade bonus would have paid out so if you have a trade bonus that would take you above the maximum salary at the time you are traded then it basically just gets eliminated so that 
saves the Boston Celtics a little cash. But well, what we are should, the terms well, here? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly where I was going to go. Uh, so the terms are Al Horford, Moses Brown, and the least favorable of OKC's three second round picks in 2023. So that could be their own Charlotte's or Dallas. So probably not a great one. We'll see where things are then. In exchange for Kemba Walker, the number 16 pick in this draft, and the better of OKC's pick and Memphis's second so the better of sorry of of boston and memphis's second round picks in 2025 so let's just start from a financial standpoint how does that change things for the celtics over the lives of these contracts oh it's absolutely huge so horford will make 27 million the coming season next season and he has a 14.5 million partial guarantee or now the celtics or if they trade him again that team can keep horford for 26.5 so you can kind of choose which of those two you want to do could also stretch that partial guarantee if desired but kemba walker makes 36 million for the coming seasons that's 9 million more than horford and then 37 7 in 22 23 which is if we're going with the partial guarantee number 23.2 million more so that is a lot of money for the oklahoma city thunder to take on it's a lot of money for the celtics to save and that's why it's so important for them in terms for the Celtics in terms of where this is going because remember Jason Tatum he's not getting the super max but he is getting the 25% max from that's a big that's a big salary bump and my preliminary numbers put it that this move gets the Celtics they were about dead even with the luxury tax line before this trade now they're 11.3 million below the tax without anything for Fournier using their trade exceptions to the middle level. So now you can probably, you can definitely do at least one of those things. And you could probably do two if ownership, if ownership is willing to go a little bit into the tax. Yeah, and without Fournier and without Jabari Parker, they have 12 players under contract, uh, also assuming that Moses Brown, that they're going to keep him, which one which would they think should. That they would. Maybe, maybe, maybe that was just for salary matching purposes because he is non-guaranteed. Well, they had to, I think they had to partially year. guarantee it to make the trade work. But anyway, it's still like... And, and if and if yeah. they didn't want Moses Brown, somebody else would take Moses Brown. Like that, I don't think that's I don't think it'd be hard to find a home for him. So obviously, we need to talk about what this means for Taco Falls' future in Boston with the having Moses Brown. Now, uh, so there is significant savings. They're going to save about eight million for next year, assuming that they keep Brown around. But that that doesn't really matter because that that's just a roster spot they would have needed to fill it near the minimum anyway. So they really they save about nine million for next year, and then they would save between eleven or bump it down to fourteen million for Horford's guarantee unless they make the finals or the or win the championship, which uh, I mean it's not totally impossible they can make the finals next year, but they probably won't. And or you could even stretch that fourteen point five million and then you would end up saving almost thirty two million in twenty two twenty three. And you mentioned the tax. There might have been more of an appetite to go into the tax if they were playing better and they just weren't. However, so, you know, call it about 20, 30 million dollars in savings or so uh, for the Celtics. And that's, you know, to give up a, this is a better pick than is often involved in these kind of transactions, the 16th pick. And they also got worse in terms of the second rounds. They did get Brown back. Brown's probably, you know, about the same as the second round. So let's consider all the non first round Horford Walker stuff. It's relatively a wash, I would say. We'll see whether Brown gets any tick for the Celtics or not. He's got, he puts up some points in rebounds but he's also pretty slow so they uh, how much of a talent downgrade is this on the floor if it even is one 
if you factor in availability, I'm not sure that it is as much. Though it's fascinating from this perspective of Brad Stevens, first of all, trading a player he coached for a player he coached. Um, but because of the idea of scarcity versus surplus. So not only are centers in general or big men in general, Horford can play some four, more in supply, but also they're more in supply in Boston where Robert Williams is still on his rookie scale contract. He is extension eligible. I don't know if that gets a little thorny here. It probably doesn't. Um, but they also have Tristan Thompson under contract, fully guaranteed 9.7 million for next season. So yeah, you could play Horford a little bit with them, but you also create this huge question, which is what in the world are the Celtics going to do at point guard? Because they have, you know, they have Peyton Pritchard, but Boston now, they they don't have a first-run pick, which not only could you draft, draft a guy, but that guy probably wouldn't be good enough to start on a team with lofty aspirations, but could be traded for somebody that could, or you could theoretically use the mid-level on that type of player, or you could use that, the trade exception, the biggest one they have left is 11 million of the Gordon Hayward exception. You could use one of those to get a point guard, but those aren't necessarily the easiest paths to do so when you consider the threshold that Boston is looking at. This isn't, you know, like a fringe playoff team trying to get a point guard stopgap. This is a team that needs somebody who can start and potentially play in a conference finals. Well, I think uh, reading through here, and we'll see, I mean, obviously the reason that this is being done is to potentially facilitate other moves. Now, one of those moves could just be re-signing Evan Fournier, who they have the full bird rights on. Uh, so, and if they bring him back and, you know, they're 5 million in the tax, they could still maybe try to make a move with Thompson at the deadline. They could try to sweeten that with one of their young guys. Uh, Robert Williams might be a sweetener as well, who it just seems like Brad Stevens, you know, buying into him as the starting center is just not something that he is going to do. And he's not a big Grant Williams guy either. I think we can conclude that given by the usage patterns of those guys by Brad Stevens, the coach over the last couple of years. And, you know, they still do need another center in addition to, to Horford. But I think, you know, if you re-sign Fournier and Smart is like, so you got Smart, Fournier, Brown, Tatum, Horford as your starters. Brad Stevens has previously kind of run his offense through Al Horford at the elbows. And so this would be a group that would, you know, Al Horford would kind of, I think in theory, just make up for the lack of a traditional pick and roll point guard. And you're also going to say our big scorers are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So wouldn't it be better if we have just a center facilitating for those guys out at the elbows, doing a bunch of handoffs, stepping out, kind of get back to that 2017 offense with Isaiah Thomas, let give space for all these guys to get to the rim and you know, Fournay as well to just kind of play off a of Horford at the elbows. And Brad has never really particularly used a center who rolls to the rim well. And they annually have kind of disappointed in terms of their ability to get to the foul line ability to finish at the rim get to the rim like they haven't done a great job of that particularly when they haven't had al horford there to kind of facilitate things so maybe that's the thought here now that's a big bet on al horford right and i think certainly when healthy kemba walker is a much better player than al horford and so a lot of times you might see something like this where uh, the trade is made but you're also kind of getting a slightly better guy than the bad salary the toxic salary but of course the other issue is that kemba walker couldn't stay healthy then he got a bone bruise in that same left knee that had been bothering him and so you felt like yeah all right kemba had like a really nice april and early may but he was small you know that it's gonna be a big problem going up against brooklyn in the east and he couldn't stay healthy and that and they obviously know better than anybody what the state of that knee is 
And so I think it's quite possible that Al Horford gives you more production than Kemba Walker over the next couple of years because Kemba just is not going to be able to be healthy. So it, maybe that's part of this calculation. But I, would you agree with me that when healthy, Kemba Walker is still a better player than Al Horford? I think so. And Horford, though, the combination of somebody who can space the floor and also be a capable defensive player. Now, it's been it's been a, a couple of years since he was in Boston, and we wonder what Horford can be at that level for a, for a team that needs a lot from needs a lot from the five and remember Horford he already turned 35 like this is you don't expect the this to reverse the hands of time or anything like that but yeah I would say so overall and I I think how we think about these two players a year from now is going to be extremely important now Horford you know we'll talk about his future with the Celtics after this coming season after but it's I think it's in many ways this is as much a bet against Kemba Walker's health as it is anything else because if Kemba Walker you know if he's very limited or he can't you know you can't trust that he'll be on the floor in April, May, June, then he just doesn't have value for a for a high level team and Kemba Walker you know he's getting that that contract that that he as a free agent got the got that max contract 37.6 million for 22-23 it's a possibility that looks like a huge negative and and maybe for a team that's less competitive or a team that can withstand the health variance from Kemba maybe it looks a little bit different but that is it is a reasonable bet and it's one that I would always be very cognizant about of as the other team because as you said you presume that the Boston Celtics know significantly more about the viability of Kemba Walker's knee than anybody else does. Yeah, we'll get to the OKC portion of this uh, in a little bit because walker is you know he can still play right that's the the kind of guys that they have focused in on rightfully so in, in some of these trades but yeah al horford i thought he looked a little rejuvenated playing center in okc and in fact okc's defense was surprisingly competent when he played last year he can't really protect the rim anymore though so can he switch are they going to like have him getting out on the floor in pick and roll defense which he, he's more comfortable with maybe so but especially if they have all this length they can kind of fly around behind him maybe cover up for some of those gaps um and then of course what's going to happen with robert williams at this point i mean is and they still have tristan thompson also i'm sure they would love to move thompson and maybe would do so in kind of a luxury tax avoidance move later in the season they did get out of jail because jason tatum didn't make an all-nba team because you know julius randall is way better than jason tatum i think we all know that uh, but maybe they could look to trade robert williams robert williams will be extension eligible they don't necessarily have a center of the future and i think williams with his own health record counting on him for more than 20 minutes a game is probably not too smart either i mean he just gets hurt every year even though he looked amazing in that brooklyn series and to his credit really toughed it out with that toe issue so you could still extend robert williams and with the understanding that you know we're probably going to move on for horford and maybe stretch him in uh, or make another trade to get off of his salary in 22 23 so this does seem if you're Evan Fournier's agent, you got to like this. It also probably would mean to me that we talked on, about the two guards that Evan Fournier didn't have an obvious home and particularly not an obvious home where a team was going to make him their first priority. So my guess would be that this move is made with an understanding that they have a pretty good framework of him returning and how much that's going to be for. Uh, it does give them just some more overall mobility to deal with uh, and size to deal with the Brooklyn Nets in theory although do you want Al Horford guarding James Harden or 
Kevin Durant on a switch at this point in his career? Yeah, maybe not, but he's still one of the smarter, more mobile big men. Well, and it also so, gives you yeah. it gives you an offensive wrinkle for the Bucks, where you know if, if they continue to go back to basics. I mean, we don't know that necessarily where things are going to be for Milwaukee at that point, but having a pick and pop big, we know that's one of the one of the opportunities that you can get against Milwaukee and and Philly too. Yeah. You know, like having yeah, that. Yeah, and he's also he's defended Joel Embiid very well in his career. So the, there are a lot of thoughts of this now. You know, if they were getting 2018 Al Horford, then yeah, this would be amazing. You know, this he's it's been a while here. I mean, also when you just look at it in terms of like they could al horford i'm sure would have been reasonably happy to stick around in boston he seemed happy there and they just didn't want to pay him as much as philly did because they felt like hey we can use this money on kemba walker instead basically and to then make that move and then have to give up a first round pick to get back the guy on the same contract that you could have just given him at that time to have him stay that doesn't look good two years later it is worth noting that kemba walker got them to an eastern conference finals that maybe they don't get to in 2020 even though he was hurt you know he was still key in the philly series and the toronto series where they were boxing wanting him and uh to to get them into that east final so maybe they don't but then obviously walker delivered almost no value last year so that's you can evaluate that decision to get walker instead of horford i think pretty much anyone would have said that that was better we certainly did at the time uh and you know kemba we small guards they don't age amazingly i think we understood that wasn't gonna be a great contract by the end but he also had been exceedingly durable up up until that point yeah. um but uh, he also a, 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 pretty a couple, clearly had yeah yeah go ahead. sorry a couple other points for boston one is the decision point for brad stevens in 2022 without horford so it is an it is a challenge that doesn't come up that often which is if basically if the Celtics want to keep Al Horford beyond the coming season it actually gets kind of difficult to do so because you have that partial guarantee but if you want him back but you want him back for less than the full value of that contract the 26.5 assuming they don't like make I can't remember their triggers to actually make that fully guaranteed um if you want to do that for less money than that 26 good luck because you have to you'd have to pay him out the partial guarantee but then remember that you you're you don't retain bird rights in that case you're cutting the dude and so then you probably have to burn so basically you either have him back for 26.5 or you're probably not having him back and so that creates yeah. well and if you stretch a guy you could not bring him back until right the, until his contract would have been exactly and so that means it's kind of a shitter get off the pot moment which gets more complicated because now after moving Kemba Walker's money there is a faint possibility but a possibility that Boston could actually have cap space next offseason now the challenge is to have functional space they basically can't spend any money for next season this offseason so that means you can't give a multi-year contract to Fournier you can't use the trade exception on somebody who has multi-years you probably can't extend Robert Williams for significant money so I don't think that's a path for them so, but it's you know like does Brad Stevens yeah. get drawn by the oh we could get you know like we could have 30 million or so in space and like look at all the guys we could get I don't think that's really true I think it's more the idea that you'd probably want to stay over but at the same point even if you're going to stay over giving Al Horford 26 million like that might have a real hit for their ownership yeah the, that's a, a good point there and but yeah if they stretch Horford they could get up to about 30 million in space for next year 35 million if you want to move on from Romeo Langford another small thing here is that by moving on from the draft pick they save 3.2 million as you noted so in terms of like point guards that they might be able to get in at uh, around and they might be able to use the full mid level here if they you know they might run into some hard cap issues but they might be able to get there because they have so many guys under contract already um 
And if they, keeping that in mind, it might probably more likely to be the taxpayer mid-level. But they, there are some point guards out there, obviously. You know, Derek Rose probably will be back with the Knicks. George Hill on a partial guarantee. Goran Dragic, Patty Mills, Alex Crusoe, Cameron Payne, Reggie Jackson. TJ McConnell. Jeff T. All right. Uh, but, you know, th- there there are some players who could come in and, you know, maybe wouldn't necessarily start, but could be a, a big part of their rotation and play 25 minutes a game and, and kind of help them. Because they are going to need some sort of a backup point guard type. I don't think that Pritchard is that. He doesn't necessarily have the playmaking skills. But you, you also wonder, too, of just like, hey, if we got to play against Brooklyn in our conference, you saw what happened to Peyton Pritchard going up against them. It wasn't it wasn't too pretty. But, eh, but you know, you can also just hope that Brooklyn won't be at full strength, <laughs> which, which will probably be the case. And I think that's all I've got on the Celtics. But I mean, it seems pretty obvious where this is going to go for the Thunder. They're going to try. They're going to next year. They're going to try to skirt a fine line as they did with Al Horford this year of rehabbing Kemba Walker's value, making it clear that he's healthy and can play. They got a good medical staff there. They have no reason to play him a bunch of minutes. And then they're going to try and trade him for someone who's an even worse contract than he is and probably get some assets in that as well. You know, like Kevin Love, for example, right? Like, like as, if Cleveland is like desperate to make some sort of a move up, do they, do they uh, trade Kevin Love? for Kemba Walker or you know some other contract that just you know I don't see John Wall or Russell Westbrook being that necessarily I don't see Houston like trying to take a step forward like that next year but there are contracts out there some more will emerge obviously as well and they'll just do the same playbook that they did with Chris Paul and then the same playbook that they did with Al Horford and you know they'll do the coming and going that Sam Presti has been so good at here so that's getting another first round pick this is a good first round pick to 16 is better than are normally available in these sorts of salary dump situations because usually teams that are trying to dump salary if you're that close to the tax you've been a team that's going for it and you're pick is probably in the 20s i would have hoped maybe that the celtics could have gotten a little bit more here uh and in particular getting off of tristan thompson for next year or maybe getting back one of these younger guys like a kendrick williams yeah for example uh who actually i think could have helped the celtics next year maybe the Celtics. Uh, you know i think the thing for the celtics is that they just they already have 12 and maybe 13 roster spots with brown taken care of so and or, or i'm sorry brown was 12 and if they bring back jabari parker who guarantees half of his salary on opening night then they're at 13 already so maybe that's the thought is just hey like we we just need more roster spots flexibility as well so well, that, and, but and that's, it, yeah go ahead and that's an interesting interesting transition to the oklahoma city thunder who now have three first round picks in 2021 we don't know the exact numbers we know they're going to have 16 then they're either going to have i believe it's their their own pick for sure but then either 18 or 5 because that's the only pick where the where the only spot where the houston pick would convey so that's that's a, ver- a variance thing for them but that's three first round picks either direction they also have some non-guarantees gabriel deck williams we assume they're gonna you know it's gonna get picked up whether he's there or elsewhere isaiah roby thinks gonna get picked up and so for for oklahoma city they also you know they lose some some financial flexibility this year and the coming year and next because now they're they're i mean still plenty of space but they're down to 
35 40 million depending on some of those some of those contracts that's that's less than they had before and then they also lose a significant f- spending power in 22 when Kemba Walker is fully guaranteed and Al Horford was not but they yeah, got it and, the dis- and yeah so so they actually are not by 20 the summer of 22 Shea's max is going to kick in they'll probably only be about 20 million in cap space by that point uh and the other thing is the roster spots there too I don't yes. know if you're going to get to that but that's exactly where yeah I mean yeah so because you, they're going to run into an issue incidentally that Boston has dealt with for the last three years which is that you're bringing in a lot of new players and you don't necessarily clear out as many because not only do, I mean beyond the myriad second round picks that the Thunder have they have three first round picks this year the expectation is that they'll have three first round picks next year then as of now they have two or three first round picks in 23 so and remember these are rookie scale contracts they run four years also sam presti has found value on the margins you know guys like like lou dort and tail maladon and so who weren't first round picks but are a part of their future to be sure so at some point they're going to run into those issues probably going to have to trade some of those young guys for below market value because coalescing trades you know com- like you know you can't trade four quarters for a dollar like that's not the way the nba works and you can't trade four dimes for 50 cents or for, for five dimes for 50 cents either so i think that's going to be a real a real challenge for presley to deal with now you can also do something that where you can combine those things it's actually easier to do before the picks are made and so maybe you could see let's say they end up with 5 16 18 you could see 16 and 18 become a better pick or even 5 16 18 try to move up a little bit get the good player probably not going to get to number one but you could get a player that you like more within that top five group yeah, and obviously the lottery will d- determine that. They could have a pick in the top four that's their own, and they got, a, a, I think, a 48% chance that Houston's pick will be number five and that they get that also. And then they'll also, then they would lose 18, but they'd still would have 16th. And so I, I'm sure because of those things you talked about, we'll probably try to see some consolidation trades for them, probably at draft time, actually, to move up in the draft with, with all these picks. In terms of just their roster spot right now, with those three players that they're probably going to draft or projected to draft as of now they've got 15 players under contract however that and that would include Sfee Michaeliuk as a restricted free agent but they have five guys who are non-guaranteed Isaiah Roby does guarantee pretty early on I would imagine they would probably just guarantee it. the other thing too is they can always just, even if the guy's guaranteed they can always just eat the money sure I mean, they're gonna be I would be shocked if they go into this season above the cap I think they'll go into the season probably still with money and they can easily take on they still have 32 million for next year that'll drop if they get two picks in the top five but they'll have plenty of room to just take guys on get some more picks get some more players as well and you know and most of these guys that we're talking about and they so the non-guarantees they have Lou Dort that's going to get picked up Charlie Brown Jr. Eh, we'll see Roby this seems like he showed enough to get picked up same with Kendrick Williams who again I think would be a good trade candidate uh and they got uh Gabrielle Deck as well so all these guys I mean they could bring all these guys into camp and then just cut the ones who don't work out I mean and even with your time about the draft picks I mean some of these guys are going to not work out and that's okay you know you yeah. have enough bites at the apple uh all right that was a lot on this trade but there was a lot to unpack here and probably too early to grade this for the Celtics I would have thought I would have hoped they could get a little bit more value for a pick that's that good but this isn't like crazy terrible value and you know it seemed like the Kemba thing was not working out there 
So, uh, and just to have a a team like the Celtics just can't have that much salary tied up in a guy who might not play. I mean, you're just, you're just behind the eight ball at that point. So that's a big part of this. And we'll see there. And there is a theory of how they can kind of make up for not having a traditional point guard by running stuff through Horford. And we'll see how, how all that goes. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.